Magic Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Welcome to Magic Without Fears, the Hermetic Podcast. I'll put on my hat for you. Father Aaron Leach, welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for asking me to be here. It's too warm to wear that, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I was hoping we we're gonna have that the whole th- the whole oh, time. <laughs> I don't have mine though, so I feel underdressed now. <laughs> Just put the cat hat, the cat on your hat head. There you go. See, this is my. I got my familiar with me, so I think we're doing pretty good. Yeah, my, my cat, my cat's <laughs> this... not not alive anymore. I found this bronze artist in, in bronze up there. You can see. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a real cat. I'm joking. No, I, I figured it wasn't. No, we got nine of these things. This is just one. Oh, see, I'm sorry. Yeah, see, they own the place. And this one especially will let you know if you displease her. We call them the secret chiefs. <laughs> in fact, our temple is actually a Bast temple. So she's in charge around here. Very nice. Yeah, I, I obviously have a connection connection to Bast myself. We had tons of cats and kittens growing up. It was, it was a really beautiful thing. Our first cat was named Bugs, the second one Bagheera, and the third one Crowley. Oh wow. Yeah. Then the fourth, I, fourth was I won't even try to name all of ours, but we've got I mean, we've got, you know, we get very large property. They're not all trapped in the house, but they come and go at will. They've got complete freedom. And uh yeah, they'll they'll all be up here pestering me for dinner, probably while we're doing this interview. So that should be fun. Cool. Yeah, and you just finished your big uh, uh, pagan music called Celtic Festival type thing. Yeah, it was uh, yeah Phoenix Fire. Um, well, it's Phoenix Festivals, and it's their autumn meet, and they do a spring uh, festival, and they do an autumn festival. And uh, we tried the spring festival, but there was a kind of a snafu, and they had to shut it down early. And yeah. then we uh, got everything back together for uh, another try here in the autumn, and this one went off. Uh, almost without a hitch i mean i don't think you can actually have an event like that with no issues but it all went through everyone had a good time you know so it was yeah we had a lot of fun and we're very excited (laughs) i'm really hoping to make it to one of those like uh i'm gonna i'm gonna reach out to the we we just uh uh, we trudeau just uh scrapped the app the tracking app that was preventing some of us from leaving the country and coming back um, so oh, it's wow. like international travel be, will be allowed for the first time for people, deplorables like me, for the first time in a long time. So I look forward to uh, doing the some U.S. Uh, Celtic festivals and stuff like that, because we can get like a, a full year visa for the U.S. for only twelve hundred bucks. Eh? And it's a really good deal, of course, um, as musicians. And so it's, you know, a lot of me, a lot of my friends have done that, that American year, that year of doing American gigs. And, you know, you do what you can do and. Yeah, it's a, it's a good deal, you know. It'll be an interesting time down here. I I can promise you that. But it's a uh, lot yeah, easier I mean, than getting a normal visa. Oh, oh, I bet. I yeah, bet, I bet. I so, but, but yeah, you know, I hope you can swing by out here. It'd be awesome to have you guys. It would be great. Yeah, we haven't done serious uh, stuff like that in a long time, so it'd be great. I love uh, I love doing my Celtic thing, illin pipes and lutes, and uh, I do love singing in Gaelic, Irish Gaelic. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, maybe yeah. you can do a, a yeah. gig at the festival. You have to contact the Phoenix people. Exactly. Well, yeah, our our bona fides and our chops are good enough to usually lock things down pretty easily. Oh, that's awesome. I'm, I'm sure they're looking, always looking for talent. So 
Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's the hope is to do my, because my American pilgrimage was cut off due to COVID in 2020. Of course I was, you know, I was about uh, yeah. direction through the whole South. I had a wedding in Mexico. I had to go to, I had book signings and lectures in Austin planned and, and then and COVID. just, just everything got shut down. It was terrible. <laughs> Really Fortunately, cool. I'm kind of a recluse to begin with, so I didn't really have a lot. I mean, you know, I do the festivals and stuff. That that ended. I did a. We moved into the, onto this property, and literally as we were still unpacking here, we had uh, Carrie and I, I say we, my wife and I, headlined at Florida Pagan Gathering, and that was a terrible, terrible mistake because we were so exhausted. I mean, there was just we had no business trying to take on another. I mean, it's not it's it's not easy giving workshops, you know, especially out of festivals. You're also camping, you know, which is physically stressful. And we had no business taking on that extra stress. And I think we actually got physically sick from doing that. But uh, the point is that that was the last FPG. We moved in here, went to that FPG and then COVID. And we have not been to an FPG since this festival we just hosted here is the first full festival we've actually been able to attend since then. Very cool. You, at least you guys have festivals. We just don't have much going on up in Canada, so it's a uh, it's cool. There's that you a few have. left. There's a few left. I'm they're kind of shrinking. I'm afraid. I mean, the internet. You know, like the the millennials and the and the Zoomers. They just. They're not interested, you know, they, they've got groups and, and, you know, chat rooms and, and, and stuff they can use to connect with each other. And they don't really feel the need for the festivals the way folks like us do, you know, we, well, they, we, we they come haven't from been the, to the fairy party rooms at PantheaCon. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, they don't so know what's not, possible. They just don't, <laughs> they just don't, they don't understand face-to-face -face communication. They don't, it's alien to them, I think. So but the you know you still have a couple hundred people show up and that makes for a hell of a drum circle and a lot of fun and big rituals and it's still a really awesome thing to take part in you know at least a couple times a year yeah yeah i, I hope they keep i hope they keep going for a long time <laughs> yeah i've i've yeah so i was hoping today we could touch on three major subjects um which are priesthood uh the gold the golden dawn and uh, enochian magic okay if you're a game sort of i don't really usually have a direction for these things because uh i think it's harder Sounds when like you a whole have... lot of controversy <laughs> are all of those con controversial oh yeah all three of those those are real controversial topics so that should be a lot of fun okay good well um why don't we um, maybe we can start off with the the priesthood issue because because uh, we had or maybe we should leave that to the end. I don't know. Let's start I'll with leave the that one up to you. Yeah, let's leave. <laughs> let's yeah, that's my job, right? Let's, let's start with the golden. Dawn. The priesthood thing touches on a person, and I don't really want to necessarily shout that person out. Um, oh, okay. You know the, the 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 you know. So maybe save that for the final end for the the patreon bonus segment um oh there you go um talk about what it is to be a, a priest since uh we're priests of different sorts um and uh some people don't understand for some reason that recently human beings have developed this new ability it's very new and newfangled to do multiple things in their lives it's very odd i know people can't wrap their heads around it 
but it's it is a very strange yeah it's a very strange thing for people to have multi-facets and different layers to their personality and things yeah most people can only just do that one thing <laughs> i blame it on the gig economy you know you can't just be a, a golden dawn adept and a solomonic magician and a pagan you have you you also have to be a priest otherwise you're just uh, not doing enough right you know, and, and, and you have to own a shop, and you have to host festivals, and you have to, <laughs> and it, the list just goes on and on. We're kind of lucky if we love doing these things with the opportunities we have to do them today, though. I I, I have to agree. You know, it's like, I mean, I, I mean, from the from the esoteric side, just the amount of information that we have available to us. Unfortunately, it makes a lot of very bad information a lot more easily available to, but that's kind of always been the case. I mean, even even when I first started studying in the 90s and there was no internet, even then we were taught, you know, in a library, it's still going to be 99, it's like 99% nonsense. And your job as a researcher is to find the 1% that's actually the gold you're looking for. So if a library has, was being described that way, you know, God, was that 40, 30, 40 years ago? Then the internet is just that dialed up to 11. So it's it's the same, but it's just more of it. But um, I think it also allows us to connect uh, with a lot more people. It allows ideas to travel further. It allows us to explore a lot of different paths that would not have simply been available to us before all the social media you know um just the ability to reach out and, and make connections with you know, you know with with people that can actually help us can actually teach us things and actually further our path if you know how to search and you know how to research and you know how to seek for the i, I basically if you know how to ask the right questions of the right people <laughs> but what we have today allows us to do that I mean, so much easier than we ever were before. I think it's kind of amazing. Yeah, well, you just spoke with uh, with uh, the probably the foremost um, personage in the popular occult movement. I don't know how to describe it, but Dr. Justin the Sledgehammer Sledge has over oh, 200,000 yes. followers, subscribers on on YouTube now. And Dr. people generally Sledge. watch his stuff all the way to the end, which means he's doing, which is phenomenal because yes. it's just phenomenal. And he's an academic in this field who's also uh, kind to practitioners, which is what we've been hoping for a long time that that would develop. When I started uh, with the first association for the study of esotericism in 04, I, I got into, I met Nicholas Goodrick Clark there, got in my doctoral program. And he, everything was about the, all the metaphors they were talking about him, Jocelyn Godwin, everyone at that conference was talking about building bridges. We need to build bridges to get this off the ground, right. to make this work. And he's passed now, God rest him. That's why I didn't get to finish my doctorate, but I'm not going to stop building bridges and, the, and to see Justin come along and, and Dr. Puka and then all these others. It's so exciting for me. It's so exciting. And it really is be on yeah. his podcast on his channel. I was like, thank God he had just informed me the week earlier, he would come on my podcast. And so I, then I saw you pop up on his, I'm like, yep, it's happening. We gotta, we gotta keep this ball rolling. Yeah. I, I was, I was really honored to be 
for him to ask me not only to to look over his scripts for the Anakian episodes that he was doing, but then to actually be part of the live stream. That's uh yeah, that I, I actually fanboy <laughs> a little bit getting to meet him uh you know face to face, at least you know, online like this. But yeah, he's he's really incredible. He's uh he's the kind of guy that you know you 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 try so hard to tell people that you can't learn magic from YouTube, you know, don't go to YouTube, don't go to TikTok, don't go to, that's not where you go. That's bad. Don't do that. <laughs> but he's really he, doing to say that. <laughs> yeah. He throws sand in the grains because I said, then you gotta say, well, you know, except for that, you know, except for Dr. Slut, you gotta, you gotta watch his stuff, you know, and there's a couple of others out there that do produce good videos that are worth watching, but he is, uh, he's like, he's the, he's the rock star of that right now because he's really leading the way on it and he he's shown that there's an appetite for it yeah and you know and i i talked to him and it's the same conversation that um that we're having right now he he does not like that separation that scholars have toward practitioners you know that mind that i mean that mental separation yeah. that you know it, and and i first noticed this and it, it wasn't it didn't start for me with dr sledge i first noticed it uh with the um magic and history series from penn state press yeah so you know claire fanger um allison Kudera, uh, uh, dr kai keffer yeah exactly those uh, guys yeah. those guys are awesome because they were doing the same thing you know that was the and i know there are some other universities that started also getting like little esoteric societies together and and it was it was these this new mindset that if we really want to understand these texts we have to stop thinking we're above them and that we're above the people that practice them and actually listen to the practitioners and that there's a lot to learn about the text by listening to the people who actually use them yeah. you know so and and so there's yeah it was like this opening doors and building bridges and and i think that and, and i always say that from our side we have to be open as open to, to their side as they are to ours you know, because one of the things that plagues our side is a lack of academia, is just taking whatever you read in the last book that you liked on faith, and now that's history, you know, or, or I mean, I mean, God, look at the occult. I mean, how many occult books trace our traditions back to Atlantis, for God's sake? I mean, you know, there's, there's <laughs> that's my occult books are not known for having good history, you know what I'm saying? So it, we have to have the good history, because if not, we wouldn't know one tenth of what we know about the grimoires today you know it's academia that's translating text after text that we never had access to or finding texts buried in collections and libraries that no one knew were there and everyone that they bring out and translate uh offers new insight into how that european tradition that we call the solomonic tradition or the grimoire tradition or just western esotericism in general how it actually worked what they actually thought you know and and every every new every new translation sheds a whole new spotlight on all the texts we already have and you know it's like oh that's why that's there oh that's where that came from you know and it's and then we all have to we all have to be open to that and change our practices you know for me it's like my spirits are very accepting of mistakes but once I'm aware of how to do it right, like if a, if a new if new if a new academic find is made, you know, and I read something that let's say Joseph Peterson publishes, and he's explaining you know something about a text that I've never understood before, then my spirits will actually 
not let me rest until I fix whatever I was doing wrong <laughs> to you match mean. what we now know. You know, so it's it's so important to to learn and to not just rely on our own uh, what we call UPG unverified personal diagnosis. You know, what that spirit you summoned told you happened in ancient Egypt, you can't take that as fact. You know, <laughs> they they don't spirits don't really work that way. They don't work with concrete facts. So we need the researchers and we need the the history to understand what we're doing and how to do it. So, yeah, I think it's important as, as if you're practicing things like scrying and stuff like that to practice on things that are verifiable, but, but also to remember, yeah, things that spirits tell you may are probably, you know, are probably good for you, but it may not be good for another, like St. Paul said. Right. And uh, that's a hard thing for people well, to, to remember, I think. And it's, it's even more complex than that because, you know, people get so. this idea in their head that if you're talking to a spirit, it's like you and I talking right now. And that's that's not how it works. Spirits don't have vocal cords. They they don't have tongues. They can't vibrate air that reaches your eardrum and vibrates your eardrum. They're communicating with what they didn't have the word in the grimoires, but they communicate with what we would call telepathy. It's just direct mind to mind communication. So a spirit literally cannot say anything to you that you do not already have the symbols for and the concepts for in your mind to receive the message that the spirit's trying to give you. So whatever this, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was, I was, I was just going to say, so whatever message the spirit gives you, your brain is immediately instantaneously going to translate it and either embellish it or detract from it or mistranslate it. It's going to approximate it as best it can. So this is why we get some, you know, like people will say, well, why couldn't the spirit just tell me this simple thing? Why can't the spirit just tell me what the lotto numbers are? What's so hard about that? Well, because there's no way for that spirit to transmit that to you. You don't know what those lotto numbers are. So how is it supposed to transmit those lotto numbers to you? So everything that the spirits try to communicate to us, they have to kind of lead us to step by step, you know, by tossing out little pebbles then leading us to the correct information or leading us to the teacher who can reveal the information or to the book or whatever. And, uh, or if you're scrying with them, you have to understand the symbols that they're using to communicate with you. And the more of those symbols, you know, the easier it is and the more elaborate their communications can be. So yeah, it's always going to be, you know, what a spirit tells me is not what he's going to tell you, but you and I could be sitting in the same room during the same scrying session, both of us seeing the same spirit through our astral senses, for lack of a better term, both of us hearing the spirit, and we would both get entirely different messages. So it's it's never going to be the same from one person to the next, or even from one session to the next. It's, it's a very subjective process. Yeah, and you touched on, you mentioned UPG, which is, 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 I, I could, it's somewhat accurate for me to say that it's a pet peeve of mine, but not entirely. Let me unpack that because this will make a great little bit for some people who, you know. So here's my thinking <clears throat> UPG means unverified personal gnosis for the folks at home who are new to uh, occultism. 
<laughs> it's modern <laughs> variations, but it's unverified Shop personal talk. gnosis. Now we all know that gnosis and Gnostics and Gnosticism are not all exactly the same thing. So we're going to push aside Gnosticism and Gnostics and focus just on Gnosis. The idea of Gnosis itself, right, is how would you define Gnosis uh, roughly? You don't have to worry. You don't have to be too precise. Just rough. Well, in in the um, yeah, it really doesn't have any relationship to Gnosticism. Exactly. The, the so we're pushing that. Yeah. It just means now that it's the way that the Gnostics use the term. Yeah. Um, and what it means is to have personal um experience of something uh think of the biblical meaning of the word to know you you can know the girl next door or you can know biblically the girl yeah. next door um in the bible if they were going to say you know the girl next door they would use the word gnosis that you had gnosis of her and in hebrew and he, yeah in hebrew just, yadah right so and it's a it right, right it doesn't necessarily mean sexual but it could mean that right you know you can have gnosis of mathematics you can have gnosis of you know whatever but it means to have a direct personal knowledge and understanding and experience of what you're talking about which is that's a big problem in modern occultism right people talk about things they have no experience of golden dawn we're gonna talk about the golden dawn right well, the Golden Dawn is, that's one of the biggest problems we have. You can go online right now and listen to thousands of people tell you all about the Golden Dawn, how it works, what it is, what it isn't, what's wrong with it. And none of them have actually been in the order. None of them have gone through the system. Maybe some of them have poked around at it, self-initiation, astral initiation. Maybe they made it to Zelda in an actual temple somewhere. But like 99.999% of the people you hear talking about the Golden Dawn online have not actually ever taken initiation in an order. So it, they do not have gnosis of the Golden Dawn. But if you're talking to someone who has actually been initiated all the way through the order and into their inner order, then you're talking to someone who has actual gnosis of the Golden Dawn. So unverified personal gnosis is just, forget unverified for a second, but personal gnosis. If I do a ritual and I ask a spirit a question and I scry that spirit's answer, then that is... I'm that's gnosis. I'm getting that information directly from a spirit. I'm not reading the Bible. I'm not asking another person. I went to the source and I had a direct experience and I got an answer. So, but uh, oh, go ahead. So isn't it redundant to call it unverified and personal? Because that's what gnosis is necessarily. It's necessarily personal. Otherwise, it wouldn't be. Well, gnosis. And if you could verify it, it also wouldn't be gnosis. You would call it scientific fact. Well, what I, I I think it's still useful because there's also a thing that we call verified personal gnosis. Oh, see, I haven't seen that. Yeah. So great example. Great example. Great example. Um, me when I first day. started doing, uh, when I really got into making offerings to entities, I learned that that was like a key to magic. And I would start making the feast offerings to the archangels. Very early on, I started with uh, the Jupiter angels. And very early on, they I, I i set an offering out to them and they said you need to eat some of this 
And I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. I'm offering this. Why would you want me? And they said, no, take a bite of everything. Take a sip of everything. You need to share this with us. And I was like, well, okay. So I did. I did what they wanted. That's that's how magic works, you know, what the spirits want, the spirits get. So I shared that meal with them. And then I think I went into the Solomonic group online and I said, this is the weirdest thing. These these spirits. And I assumed it was because Jupiter, you know, they're all about feasting and family and friends and fun. And and I thought, you know, I, I guess it makes sense. You know, the Jupiter spirits would want to share the feast with you. And then I started getting response after response that sharing the offering feast with the spirits you're feeding it to goes back a long way it's it's known in santeria it's known in voodoo it's known in uh you know other religious traditions that make sacrifices and this is something i had never encountered before but my spirits told me to do it and once i told others what they had told me they started giving me actual academic sources that know this is something that actually happens in the in tradition in, in the real world so my unverified personal gnosis became verified personal gnosis. And since then, I've actually learned on the, all the rules on how to share food with spirits, who you can share it with and who you shouldn't. And, and you know, that, you know, that's a whole different thing. But I never would have run into any of that if the spirits themselves had not first told it to me. And for a while, it was just my own unverified personal gnosis until I learned more. Which again is why we need those academics so they can point out the history to us when we say when we bring up things like that. Oh yeah, like that that groundbreaking study by uh, Sophie Page, Doctor Sophie Page, right on how monastics use the grimoires. That verified so much that many of us had been told or learned from spirits or just passed down in the tradition. You know, it's one of the things that we might have been told things that were, that were passed down and we just had no way to validate any of it. And then her book came out, her research came out. Um, hmm. And uh, this is and actually new to me. I'm not it's on with her. I, I just heard it on Glitchball. Even though she was, I'm in, gonna a, have to... was in a classroom I was lecturing to in Canterbury, I believe, in 2019. Um, but I didn't really know who she was at the time. And then she thinks she finished her PhD, did Glitch Bottle. Maybe I'm getting the time mixed up, but, you know, I've been locked inside for a few years like most people. Oh, that's Maybe fine. not Floridians, but anyway, I'm joking. Um, but she noticed <laughs> that, sorry, I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you. So, of course, I'm just, I'm just, my goal is to not do what I did with Ash and Shasan and get blackout drunk by the end. I was very nervous. <laughs> hey, I was so hey, if nervous. I had something talking. here. I got. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Because I got. Uh, I got something here. If you wanna, if you want me to keep up with you a little bit, I oh got, yeah, uh, please do. Mead right here. This mean was this given to, party to my wife and I by Doctor Sledge. He made this. So uh, Sledgehammer makes wanna... mead. He makes mead, and uh, remember, you might have seen on Facebook, we posted this absinthe that we were drinking. He made the absinthe that we were posting those pictures of, too. That's around here, too, somewhere. It's, it's a little tiny bottle of it. It'll probably last us for years, but it's Not awesome. if you open it right now, it won't. Oh, no, no, we already... Oh, no, not right now. No, 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 no. You could keep up. <laughs> yeah, no, Um, we have too many serious things to discuss to get blackout um, or anything close. Um. And and Ash and Shasan, the podcast didn't go as badly as it could have. Let's be honest; it was it was still a pod. You know, you know, some people told me it wasn't good, but also like some really high level adepts in orders that I we literally can't mention, um, mm. told me they had they listened to it twice. They loved it so much. So what do you do with something like that, right? What do you do? Some people are like this is shit. Your shit. Fuck you. And then some people are like, 
that was so good. I listened to it twice. And these are people that are like, you know, that, that we, that we Dang, look up you know, to, right? You um, sit there and rack up views. That's what you do. <laughs> you just got to keep doing you, doing you, you got to keep doing you and the people that like exactly. it will stick around. Those won't, but um, yeah. Everything so, you ever make should be something that you, that you want for yourself. You know, like, exactly. like every book I write, I write that book only because I wanted that book and no one else had written it. So that's how yeah. everything you create should be. It just should be something that you want for yourself. And then you're willing to share it with other people too. And this book is a gem, probably one of your most under underestimated books. People probably don't realize what you have. Yeah. No one knows about that one. Nobody knows that book. As exists. soon as I, I, I never really noticed it. And then when I did notice it, I was like, Oh, click. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, the, the other two books you got there, the angelical language and yeah. the complete Anakian groom war, those could not have been written if I hadn't done the Anakian saga because that was, it, I think I, I think I mentioned it in the in the, in the in, intro to that book, but um, it was actually in a in a, a three a three ring binder, and I had uh, each uh, subject matter in the book. Oh hi baby! Each subject matter in that uh, that that saga was color highlighted, color coded. So I use high, you know, like I forget the colors now, but it was like yellow would be everywhere that the book of Logal was mentioned. I'd highlight yellow and then I use blue for everywhere the book of silver leaves was mentioned, you know, or something like. And so I just had the whole thing highlighted like that's what got it around here somewhere. Yeah. And I, I really wish I could have put those color codes into the printed version that I that I ended up publishing. That would be useful. I, oh, I noticed. So I did notice. You see, one. Of, so the when I got this, the first thing I noticed was it didn't have some of the stuff I was hoping for because you didn't actually do the first five books, right? Right, right. Most of the uh, making the tools and stuff. Uh, now that's all in the uh, complete Anakian Grim or the essential Anakian Grimoire. Yeah. Um, but right. not in the same format where I'm actually yeah. going through. So, uh, uh, entry by entry and actually outlining everything. No, I didn't have that in there. I, well, I intended that to actually be another volume of the Anakian saga. Well, this but, book uh, showed me that I needed to do that for those, the Liber Quincy Mysteriorum. So that's what I've been okay. having to do because I'm going through it page by page see? comparing the Skinner yeah, with, see? with that. And I'm you adding need that. You needed that book. So you're writing it. That's I needed, exactly what I was saying. So, yeah. And so, you know, maybe actually when I'm done my write up of that, I'll, maybe I'll send it to you in case you can, if you want to go over it and see, I don't know, who knows, but yeah, we're all, for, we're all sure. for development. I'm trying in my work in the Enochian system to not redo anyone's efforts. I'm trying to look at little mm. aspects because people, a lot of people say, Oh, another book on Enochian. It's like, what are you talking about? There's basically no books on Enochian. There's right. And, and, and I don't mean that the way, of course, most people think I mean that. And you know what I mean, I think, right. Cause you, I know what you mean. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? And it's like, there's so many things that no one has looked at properly. And, you know, um, they're fascinating. They're just absolutely fascinating, extremely entertaining. And you you sometimes come across really amazing stuff that can be added into ritual, even when you consider de-purism at its finest, um, whether you're allowing the Thelemites to cast aside Christ for Babylon or not. Either way, either way, um, within purism, there's a lot of decisions that get made about how to do it. And of course, you know, a hardcore practitioner 
like myself, test things out. Me and my group, we did, we tried Stanwick's method a bunch. Then we tried your method a bunch. You know, we, we, we try different things. And if people, you know, as a group, we figure out which works best for us. And as individuals, we work, figure out what works best for us. And those are often even different things. Like it's really helpful mm -hmm. in a group to be able to just do the, the oration the way it's written. But when I do my personal yeah. work, every divine name, I vibrate as many times as there's letters in it. Oh, wow. Because that's dedication there. Well, that's, that's, that's a traditional golden dawn technique and I like it, yeah. you know, it's, but, but do I put, do I make my group go through it? No, because some of them have no interest in golden dawn techniques or vibration or anything like that. Um, yeah. Of course, you know, we're all friends. So if you get a roll of it anyway, so that was really informative is like, yes, I have to do this to be able to put together what I'm looking yeah. at. And I'm I do, excited. I do hope to get one more book done, which I mentioned in there um, in the, I think I mentioned in the essential knocking grimoire that it's going to be more of an advanced book. And that's where I'm actually going to go back into the five books of the mysteries. Cause there was so much going on in the visions that the angels revealed the tools in and, and all of the heptarchic information. So I really, you know, like the relationship between the seven instances of creation and the actual biblical days of creation and, and all the, I mean, it's really deep and fascinating. So I kind of want to put that all into kind of an advanced Anakian book, you know, uh, there's also relationships between uh, the seal of truth and the golem that, uh, oh, really? that was first, that was first brought up by um, uh, Benjamin Rowe and he's, he's passed on now, but he yeah. was a massive influence on, in, in Anakian scholarship back in the nineties and he was the first one to bring the relationship between the golem and the steel of truth. And it's just, there's just like so many of these things that are kind of buried in D's records that, yeah, I think, I think at least one more book, if I can, if I can get it out there, time keeps slipping away from me, you know, with pandemics and everything else going on. So, but I hope to get that out there eventually. Yeah. I hope, I hope so too. Um, Is there, is, is there a book you're currently working on? uh well yes and no if that makes sense um no it doesn't make sense uh it's yes and no because you know i have the classes uh that i've put together um i have the uh abermelon uh tradition classes and i have the solomonic 101 courses so my goal is i i actually have one more class uh to write for the abermelon material because Originally, that that course was conceived as just helping you through the six months uh, of the of the rite, <clears throat> but then I decided to add material for how to actually use the system afterward. So I have one yeah. more class on that to write. It's all the Chthonic spirits, uh, all the rules and methods for working with them. Once I get that done, I'm actually going to take that entire course. And I'm going to kind of reformat it into prose so that it can be made into a book format. And then I'm also going to add all of the tons and tons of linguistic work that I've done on the Abermelon squares. And that I've never published that anywhere before. I've, I've published the corrected word squares, but in order to correct them, I had to do a whole lot of work by uh, looking up the words and lexicons and trying to figure out what the squares were actually saying. So I published the squares, the result of all of that, but I didn't publish any of my linguistic decipherings of the squares. So all of that is going to be in that book. And that's my next planned book. So I am working on it, but right now I'm only working on the actual live classes 
the, the recorded lecture, I should say, class. And uh, once I get that done, I can actually start putting it into book form. It's a lot of work. There was uh, online courses and all that stuff. People don't realize, like, I'm just putting up my first now, and it's to help people. I wrote it originally just um, to help my students who were, like, new students who are working with me because I do a, a weekly class on Zoom uh, for people who dig my vibe. And, uh, you know, new people come in and it's like, well, how do I catch them up? Well, I need to lay this stuff out. But then I was, after, after we worked with it for a couple of years, I was like, this is good. And some people were interested in doing it, but I'm like, well, without the weekly classes, it's just a bunch of bullet points and, and things you have to copy and it's not very helpful really. So I was like, okay, make videos, upgrade it, make it better. And now I'm going to just make it this huge intro to like Heptarchia. Like, and it's already, I put hundreds and hundreds of hours into it already. And I did, I did years of prep, which started at the beginning of the pandemic with you, you beautiful motherfucker. <laughs> and your <laughs> course for Jason Newcomb, you did this course for Jason. Oh Newcomb. yeah. The master you know class. Yeah. The intro to Enochian and your sections were all on Puritan, uh, purist sort of a no approach to Enochian. And I was confounded flabbergasted appalled outraged frustrated because the only one of the only aspects of my five equals six curriculum i haven't i didn't i didn't fully technically complete before hypothetically moving on to other things is the golden dawn egyptian enochian squares and then you were on my buddy ryan's podcast praxis behind the obscure and you mentioned that you hadn't gotten to done that really either in your yeah no no that's and i was like me neither Sam, and i was like up in pam i think yeah yeah um and and i was when i watched the course you did with jason i was hoping you might give some insight in, and excite me and how to work with that but instead you were like so this is how d you know Ken is done following d's method and it was yes. so different but of course you know it was pandemic. We weren't even meant to leave our rooms where I was living at the time in Cali when because they went crazy in Cali. Well, the Antifa was running around burning everything down, right? So um, we didn't. It wasn't safe outside. I I got assaulted a few times just trying to leave my room to go to the bathroom. Hmm. Like people were losing wow. their minds. Like Black yeah. Lives Matter. If you don't put up your fist, I'm punching you. Even hmm. amongst like locals, it was weird. It was super weird. Anyway your course opened my mind to being like, well, I love traditional magic. I love uh, traditional grimoire stuff. I love the writings of Skinner and Pearson. What if I did approach D not in a non golden Dawn way, what would happen? And so I have stopped working on that. I, I've been nonstop working on that ever since. Yeah. March, 2020. And uh, that's because of what you presented. Um, I really also liked uh, Stenwick's presentations, of course, I, as uh, you probably know, I've, I'm in touch with him and I like his yeah. uh, stuff as well. I like I like pretty much everyone's stuff. Except the Betty and Sh Gerald Schuler, and I've got some issues with Jeffrey James. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, James, I mean, he was I mean, I'm fine with his his work. I mean, it was the closest thing we had for a long time to anything that was deep purist, but uh yeah, the Schulers is where I started out with, and that yeah. was that was a, that was a hell of an interesting thing because I had, I was very young and I had never even heard of Theosophy, so I had no idea what the hell was all these ring pass knots they were talking about and all this you know structure of the Enochian universe and they were they were they wrote like they had these schools full of students and that they had this you know you could attain this level called a Enochian dragon and, and it just went <laughs> on and on and I'm just like. 
I just, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't get it. I, I just come an Enochian dragon, a true living god. I mean, really? I mean, and then, and but I was kind of done with them when I got a copy of their Egyptian magic book. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. No. Um, no, but we were yeah, all they, about their Enochian stuff in my Wiccan coven in the mid nineties. That like early. Yeah, that that well, that was. I mean, if you go to any bookstore at that time and look for Enochian books, that's what you were gonna find. Yeah, and it was all and, you know, and of course it was Golden Dawn and Akiana, but not really even that because it was kind of mixed with a little bit of Thelemic stuff, and then a whole lot of Theosophy. But yeah, I just found most of those books frustrating. So thankfully, I did move on. You know, there was, like I said, James was good, and then there was Donald Laycock, where he gave a more of a view into Dee's records than any other Anakian book I'd ever seen. You know. Um, and then I really enjoyed Donald Tyson's book when it came out. You know, I personally, I think he goes off the rails when he starts putting his own theories out, you know, the whole end of the world and all that kind of stuff. But I found him to be very good whenever and very honest, like when he's talking about his own ideas, he says so. And when he's actually talking about these, the actual original records, he kind of did the same thing Laycock had done where he gave, a better view into some uh, more obscure parts of D's journals than anyone else had. So, yeah, you know, they were the, yeah. they were the best that we had for a while. If we know? see farther, it's because we're standing on their shoulders for sure. Absolutely. And absolutely. If, yeah, if anything I've produced is good, it's definitely because I'm standing on your shoulders and the Stenwicks and, and uh, what's his name? Um, Oh, damn. Oh, I should. I, Peterson. Well, Peterson. Are you talking about Joseph Peterson? Yeah, Peterson, of course. But also people like um, what's the purest guy who's trained who trained Maria? Um, oh, he's. I'm not sure. Praised your books in the in the group. Oh, damn! I I, I was swore I should. I'd probably recognize if you if you remember his name, name. but oh, fuck, he's an older. I don't gentleman. know. Anyway, I don't know of a lot of other purists, to be honest. Yeah, purists, purists. Sort of, we're kind I of would, a rare breed. <laughs> I think of him as sort of the king of the purists in a way. Um. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, his name might come back, should come back to me because I talk about him all the time, and I just like it. I, it's it's interesting whenever anyone does in depth work on this stuff, regardless of the conclusions they come to. Um, and I just had a funny thought about UPG as we were talking about earlier. If it's v uh -huh. UPG or VPG, both those letters are the same in Latin. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you might be converting me. It's sort of fun. I like that kind of a conceit. It's a that's a fun one. But yeah, so with Enochian, um, yeah, we've come a long way. We've come a very, very long way. And it's like it's like only now do we really have the resources and the groundwork laid by by everyone from uh, Skinner to Peterson to Kevin Klein and yourself. And, and Stanwick just put out his book on the Aethers, which is actually, it wasn't, and he's not running with the Golden Don Crowley method. He's going back to like, how do we influence politics, which I think is exciting. You know, not because it means we can fight each other with political magic, because I was, it makes me think like maybe we could actually, instead of being oppositional as Anoki magicians, but we can be like, hey, how do we get good people into office, like whatever their parties are? You guys got two parties in the States, so you guys are always fighting. We got three in Canada, which means we have the third party and we're still just as SOL and hopeless. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we're like, yeah, we got the three party thing doesn't help. It's just another group to screw us over. <laughs> yeah. Because every time someone yeah. gets in power, they just forget about the people and do whatever they want. And that's the problem. That's why we keep voting in different parties. 
It's not because one side wins and then the other side wins because we just want change and we never get it anyway. Oh, you never get it. it. We never get it. I think, I think, I think that I don't think what I'm saying is even controversial because you look at the metrics, right? And like most countries, the majority of people want the same things and none of the, neither of the part, any of the parties will ever do the things that people actually want. They're like, let's focus on issues you disagree about. How about the ones we agree on? Nope. No, no, there's no, uh, that's not sensationalist. Magically, I think there's room to play there as far as getting better people into uh, these positions, uh, you know, because there's not much else we can do other than work with spirits. And and if you don't think you can affect uh, global politics with spirits, well, you uh, you should talk to the king of Spain and uh, those two fleets of ships he lost twice. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He faffes, man. He did it two times, two times. Legendary naval upsets. How do you explain that? It's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. Yeah. You'd think the second time they'd wait till they were sure that there'd be good weather. But, you know, D did the no. again, apparently. He used the same spirit twice. To well, in, in both cases, it was uh, it was good weather. <laughs> exactly. That's the fucked up thing about it. All right. So maybe we can talk a little Golden Dawn because it's pretty rare that 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 people with our experience in the golden on gets to talk to each other in a public format that's i think actually extremely rare um, oh yeah 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 you you know so i don't even really talk about it much on facebook it's yeah it's a secret society you know so you know i'm usually talking about solomonic you know magic or you know some other subject but the golden dawn stuff i tend to leave that alone online for the most part it's just easier that way well, for those people, I, uh, my, my, one of the most common comments I get about my podcast is thank you, thank you, thank you for doing one that's sort of Golden Dawn based or Golden Dawn centric. And that's not how I see my podcast, but obviously there's no escaping that because that's my foundation, right? I grew up in a, yeah. in a Maharishi yoga family, but then went through Wicca into Wicca led me into the Golden Dawn, which shocks most people, but you and I know why that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well. <laughs> it's sort of based on it. And uh, well, if you fall, if you look into the roots of Wicca, you find the Golden Dawn, right? And, and the Lima. Uh, yeah, the Lima. Um, so I, a lot of Golden Dawn people listen to this, um, and that's cool. So I'm curious about uh, about your thoughts on things. For example, do you have a favorite Outer Order initiation? Do I have a favorite Outer Order initiation? Well, Zelda's kind of nice because it's really short. <laughs> and and I, like a true, and you know, and that, that, sound, that sounds like a joke. That sounds like a joke, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how many times we've gone to temple and it's like, oh, we got a bunch of initiations to do. Oh, which one, Zelda? Oh, okay, okay, we can do. Something. <laughs> um, oh, I'm sorry, I, I got a, I've got this thing in my lap. That's why I keep looking down, and I just startled her. Poor thing. Um. I don't know if I have a favorite one. I um, I, I mean, you know, it's real easy to say the neophyte because that's the formula of the magic of light. That's where that's kind of what a lot of inner order magic and, and processes are based on. Uh, so it's very foundational, and you'll use it a lot. Um, but of course, there's some uses for the other uh grade setups as well like uh like regardi has the evocation ceremony that uses the zelda process and i've actually used that before it, it it is actually effective um 
but I was I I was always kind of fascinated with practicus and uh, philosophers together. Um, it, when you when you go into the when you when you pass out of the uh, outer order and into the inner, you have to write a thesis, and you have to write a thesis describing your experience of each grade as you went up through them. And in my thesis, I actually referred to uh, practicus and philosophers as the twin grades, and I had to combine them into one section in my thesis instead of separate, because they were just they were so intertwined. You know, you've got the the practicus that's your that's your water grade, right? But yet it's got all of these fire paths connecting into it. And then the next thing you go into is philosophers, and that's your fire grade, but it's got all these water paths connecting into it. So, and and even the, you know, like the symbols that are on the altar and the way the 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 halls are arranged, they're like reflections of each other. Yeah. So honestly, so cool. I mean, yeah, if you're if if you're not looking at, you know, magical formulas, I mean specifically for use and other things, if you're if you're not looking at you know you know what where your favorite speech is or anything like that but if you just look at the structure of the ceremonies themselves i mean practicus and philosophers are like kind of this masterwork the way they're they're woven together and each one depends on the existence of the other I, it's it, it's just fascinating that so that was my favorite one to explore when i was writing my own thesis on what it was like going through them and so yep that i would have to say those two together are my favorite <laughs> initiation ritual did, did you did you get to go through them alone i'm pretty sure i did well i mean first i have to say in our order everyone does i mean we don't do group initiations but i i don't recall we will do them you know like one after okay. the other yeah you see so you and never... i what's that yeah okay so you never did group initiations what we do is, um, like, let's say there's a group of people to be initiated that day. We'll open the hall once in that grade, and then we'll bring each person through for the initiation individually. So one person comes through, takes the initiation, and then gets to sit down and watch the next one. And I mean, just the initiation point. And then once that's done, you know, at the end of the rituals is the explanation point. That's where all the symbols are revealed. And this is what this means. And this is why we had to do that. That we'll actually have everyone that was initiated that day. We'll give them that information all at once. So it's a very mm -hmm. slick way of doing a lot of initiations in a short time, but not having people have to go through their initiation in a group because it's not meant for you to go through in a group. It's a personal thing. So each person has to go through the, the path walkings and the introduction into the temple. They have to do that by themselves. So that's cool. I, that's yeah, nice. I've, I like yeah, I've that. never had a dual initiation or a triple initiation or anything like that. No. Oh man. I've been, I've been, I've been initiations with like 40 people all at once. Maybe oh, that's just, see, that's, that's missing the point. You know the whole the, the whole point of this, and you hear me talk it's about one of the reasons. It's one of the reasons I don't like the psychological model of magic. Yeah, but in the, the Golden Dawn, it's very important. It's all about imprinting these magical symbols on your psyche, and actually emblazoning some of them into your actual aura. You know that they'll be there for the rest of your life, and I just don't see how you can do that to a room full of forty people. You know so. <laughs> it works i'd say as well as it did for mathers 
Yeah. Which is not to praise it. Um, it's yeah. just except yeah, I don't agree with everything Mathers did, but yeah, that's the, that's basically our philosophy. It should be each person goes through, you know, one at a time. You're you know each officer, each deity or archangel that is addressing you is just talking to you one on one, and it's a it's a very it's a very intimate process. So, you know, I know there are different there are orders that do things in very different ways, but I I, I very much like the way we do it. Dude, one of my friends who I recommend to one order got initiated into philosophist before neophyte and got a whole half body rash right after the initiation. They didn't go away for months. Wow. Yeah, that's one. Yeah, that's that. I, I remember something happened. It was just a logistical issue, you know, like needing officers for, for rituals and something happened where I needed to stand as Carrix for a ritual. That's my favorite officer role. It, yeah, you got to be like a juggler. Well, especially in the neophyte. But I actually don't think it was a neophyte. I forget what ritual it was now. But I had to stand as Carrix. We needed a Carrix. But I was going to be taking my practicus that same day, later that day. And at least in my mind, you shouldn't be holding that office until you're a practicus. So I was holding and I was holding that scepter and i was doing that work even though it was the same day i had not yet taken that the right initiation and i, I swear it it bit me it my entire arm just went numb all the way from the hand all the way up to the shoulder <laughs> so yeah I, I i i sometimes you gotta take that seriously depending on the spirits involved and and how they're gonna react to things so yeah absolutely absolutely when uh when I became uh, an adept and and uh, the other guy who became adept uh, around the same time as me Martin he runs Zaleski's order now up in Montreal right, um mm -hmm. we we changed things we set talked to the adept above us the other adept had just left so there was only three of us now three Aquarians running the Temple of Tahuti which had been founded by a Virgo run by a Virgo and a Gemini and then passed on to us three Aquarians the the adepts after me consisted of a Libra and a Gemini. That's it. And those are all the adepts that went through Temple Tehuti, I believe. Oh, I, I'm forgetting wow. one. I'm forgetting a Taurus. Forgetting a Taurus. But she was American. Okay, so listen, that's a know. lot of air. <laughs> yeah. Well, Temple Tehuti, Temple of the Word. And it was a, we were a hardcore group. It was really fun. It was a, a time in my life. And we did institute. We said to him, how about we start doing these initiations just for one person? And, you know, uh, the, our imperator was like, that might mean we have to do three some nights. You know, if we have three neophytes joining this month, then that means on this Saturday we do three initiations. Are you up do for that? Three initiations. We were like, we were like That's right. hell yeah. You know, Zinc won't let us have jobs anymore. So what else are we meant to do? Oh, good lord. <laughs> That's why I went to grad school because it wouldn't let me keep a job and keep calling me to do wow. things. Like you have to quit your job and do this. Drive down to LA. Drive down to Seattle. Do this. It's like okay, I'm going back to school Jeez. because. I'm not gonna with school. They wouldn't do pull that shit. Um, well, then they then of course they right. tried to, and then a bunch of adepts left because they were so outraged by how I was being treated. And eventually, I left. So, say lovey. There you All's go. Well, then as well, I suppose we, we talked about a bunch <laughs> of that stuff offline, which is yeah. why you're not so shocked by any of it, right? But anyway, we did start doing initiations just for the people, and it was great. It was a really good idea, I think. 
then unfortunately the higher fan after me was a Gemini and refused to memorize any of his lines. And it just fell apart after that. And so, uh, yeah, we, in our temple, we're not big on memorizing everything. Uh, there's some prayers and stuff like, like um, when we get up to do the prayer of Osiris at the end, I, you know, we always like to have that memorized. I think there's a few that don't, but most of us do, but our thing is because we're the mother temple. We have so many people coming through all the time that we just really can't memorize every single ritual. <laughs> so yeah, we'll we'll carry scripts around through a lot of it. I've got nothing against needing a script. It's like the what I always would tell people is like, yes, you must memorize your lines. However, if you do not have your memor lines memorized, make sure you have your script. <laughs> don't like yeah, sure don't, don't be yeah. like go in there and hope for the best. Maybe it'll just the spirits will tell it to me. No. no. <laughs> this thing to go well, we what we focus on a lot is um and we really need to get back to it. Of course, you know, pandemic and everything, it's a lot got shut down. Um, uh, but we're starting to get kind of powered back up again. But what we used to do uh was drilling. And it's not so much memorizing the lines, but it's getting everyone to know where to go in the temple and how to move and how to not trip over each other. And, you know, at this point in the ritual, you need to be over here, you know, and be ready for what's about to happen at this at this next point in the ritual. And, you know, there's a lot of you know stage direction blocking is what, you know, is what, is what it would be called in theater. And when even even if it's not memorizing the lines, if if by by uh drilling on that and getting all of that to go smooth that just makes so much of a difference because you can really tell when folks come into the temple that they don't really practice that blocking and they're not really used to working in a full temple and they end up they'll go the wrong way or they'll trip over or run into other people or knock things over or be in the wrong place at the wrong time or you know miscues and and it, i guess I, i'm sounding like a director right now but there's a lot of stagecraft that goes into actually running a a a, a full uh, lodge style ritual and uh so that's that's what we focused on a lot and we'll focus on again once once we get back up and running yeah rehearsals were when we when you committed to a six-month term as an officer at our temple it was a big commitment it meant usually like uh two three nights a week uh, for the elemental initiation uh, of the month, you know, because you do them under the sign of the zodiac that they're in, right? That's how we did them. I don't know if that's actually normal Golden Dawn practice, but it was no, it was, it's like, not. It was a really uh, we, we can't do that because, uh, again, because we're the Mother Temple. I mean, we have to do the rituals when people can come here. You know, mm. if someone's flying from London for an initiation, we can't. We're not going to be able to time that to the astrology all the time, but the Golden Dawn itself wasn't really big on that. No, um, no, we just did it as an administrative thing. Like you know, when we yeah. were on air sign, we did the you know each month there was an elemental initiation, and what when was it? It was the one of the sign that we were in, and then of course every sign, month we also sure. had to do a neophyte for whatever members we had joining. But originally we only did one neophyte for all the members that were joining, and that could go up to here in Vancouver. That I think the most we ever did was probably five to ten people because you know that's a lot of that's still a lot of people but we were oh we, yeah we were oh, we yeah. were we we grew very large very fast um anyway but yeah it's a lot of practice to rehearse these initiations and ceremonies if you want to do them well so that's yeah, it's a did you have a a favorite officer role do you have hmm. yeah i told you mine 
I I think I feel most comfortable in the Hierophant uh, position because I just kind of have this, it's hard sometimes, uh, this impetus to like, I don't want to say control things, but like, you know, I just went on and on about blocking and making sure that people are moving right and in, in stuff in the, in the ritual. And it's hard for me, like, let's say I'm out in the hall as, you know, as one of the officers there. It's even then it's hard for me not to say, okay, everyone stand up. Okay. No, everyone needs to sit down. Hey, you, you know, you need to go over here. You know? So I'm always, I'm always like trying to, you know, keep things running smoothly. And it's, it's almost like a, it's like a, it's, it's almost like a bad habit. I can't stop. Is your Mars, you know? yeah. Is your Mars in Capricorn as well? No, no, um, no, no, it's really not. Um, I'm not really <laughs> sure where that comes from. It might even be the Saturn in, in my can because the Saturn, my son and Saturn are both in cancer. Um, but I don't, Wait, yeah, you're it's, Capricorn? It's, no, my right. Well, I am a Capricorn, but that's because my ascendant is a cat is Capricorn. Cap your ascendant is your actual sign. That's what you actually are. So yes, my, my ascendant is Capricorn. My sun is Cancer, and my moon is uh, Sagittarius. Mm. I'm trying to remember where my Mars is at the moment, but I can't. I want to say Pisces, but I'm thinking that's my daughter's chart. So yeah, I'm not. I don't remember where my Mars is. Leo, maybe. Why is it you ah, well, yeah, your ascendant your actual sign? I'm sorry, say that again? Why would you consider your ascendant to be your actual sign? Because, well, in comparison to your sun sign, your sun sign is just your outer personality. It's just the part of you you show to the world. Just like the moon, your moon sign is your inner personality, the part that you tend to keep to yourself. But your ascendant colors everything in the chart. Everything is, like I'm Capricorn, so my son is, can my son is in Cancer, so it's a Capricorn Cancer. And my moon is Sagittarius. It's a Capricorn Sagittarius. That's a so very it's a very different so. interpretive model than I was raised with. My mom's an astrologer, so I was raised with this, uh, you know, tropical astrology, Hellenistic astrology, and I've never heard these interpretations before. Are they are they more sidereal or Jyotish? No, it's Renaissance astrology. Just okay. Interesting. Same really stuff cool. Christopher Warnock teaches. Cool. I'm not saying I got that from his teachings, but yeah. it's the same. It's the same stuff. Yeah, I forget exactly which source I got it from, but yeah. yeah, for I like it. A very long time, I've considered the ascendant to be the actual sign. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So okay, other. I was almost going to ask you other than hierophant because, like, it's like why I didn't ask you which is your favorite initiation in general mm -hmm. because obviously it's five six, right? <laughs> Like, you know, like, <laughs> well, you said so, Golden Dawn. You didn't say RRNAC. Because I, so I was, I was being smart with the, higher, with the with the with the officer question. My judgment lapsed, and I didn't say except other than Hierophant. So, other than Hierophant, what's oh. your favorite officer role that you've been or seen? No, probably, probably Hyrus. You like Hyrus? <laughs> eh? Oh, it's a fun one, right? Because because as Hyrus, you're still in charge of the hall. <laughs> you're, you're the second in command of the to the. But, right. uh, you like being in charge, I get it. <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, really, I mean, I'm, you know, I kid, but um, I do have that impetus to want to, you know, make sure everything's being run right. But I also like hires because it's a very active role. I kind of like what I like about most golden on ceremonies is that you're kind of active no matter what role you're in. You're never just not doing anything. Even the Stolistes and the Duhos have good 
you know, you feel like you're up and doing stuff. But the hieress really feels like he's the most active in the hall. And that's, and I guarantee you, there's a million people going, wait, Carrick's, you know, he's the juggler and everything. And he, he really is. But the hieress is the one that does the banishing ritual. And the hieress is the one that anchors uh, the, the, you know, when you're opening the hall and the, the higher, you know, the, the first the hieress stands up and, you know, explains his office. And then the hierophant stands up and explains his office. And you're actually creating this energy between the East and the West. And the hieress has to anchor that. And I mean, there's just so much about his role. In it's fact, awesome. you know, now I that I really think about it. In Portal. Again? I got to do hieress once in Portal for six months. And then I believe once in five, six, I got to do hieress for six months. And there's nothing cooler than getting to do some lesser, you know, different officer roles as an adept. Obviously, they want you on the dais especially in a small temple but you know it was yeah hyrus is so much fun um just yeah. well it's good to have second order members in all the offices if you can get it you know yeah because you know the the second order officers will know what what the god forms are supposed to look like and there's a lot of stuff that they don't teach you until you get into the inner order that's going on on the astral in those outer order rituals and it's i remember the first time I sat down. In fact, I was on the dais, but I didn't hold any office. I wasn't, you know, I was a brand new initiate into the second order. And I think they just had enough officers to fill everything. To, so they stuck me on in, in like the past Hierophant seat or something. It was really just a placeholder. But for the very first time, they handed me the adept script for the rituals. And that was, oh, that was I, I that feeling of getting to see that for the very first time. And not just see it on the paper, but I'm watching the actual ritual being performed, but I'm being told what's going on and on all these other different levels that I had never seen before. <laughs> you know, so I'm gonna I'm getting this whole new light show of a ritual that that and that was just an incredible experience, you know. So yeah, if you can get all of your officers to have that inner order knowledge, that's that's definitely uh desirable. If you if you can get a yeah a dozen or so adepts at every temple, that's nice. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. Um, not a bad thing at all. Um, very cool. Yeah, because we're from like obviously like we're sort of from the Regardi lineage, you could say, and obviously mm -hmm. you more than than I because I'm from you know what group. Um, but we still we didn't use the 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 different god forms for every initiation that of course we found out were being used in the original order when Zaleski published that 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 the Fade Ra data data right. Did you guys ever update god the god forms to different god forms and having like the Hyruses become you takes on Samael in some of the initiations? I when I found out about that I was like why aren't we using this and they're like oh because it's Stella Matutina I'm like we're literally called the Hermetic Order of the Morning Star in America. In Canada, we were HOGD, of course, because the government had no problem with that. And why right. not? You know, I always thought that the Hermetic Order of the Morning Star was the way cooler name and represented more who we were than the defunct order, you know? And also, but also at the same time, they're like, yeah, but, you know, Cicero uses Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, so we should use Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And that might sound strange. Some people listening might be strange find that strange for me to be saying that however those people are probably aren't aware that at all the day c's i attended at corpus christi you know the adept get together we got depths get together every year 
Chick came on a conference call with us and talked to us. Uh-huh. So when I was a young adept, I thought we were everything was like simpatico and there was never any vitriol as far as I knew between us and Cicero at all. Um, the, 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 the problem was Griffin was attacking everyone. Like I said to you earlier off the record, like he broke into our temple, which consequently led to our the role of sentinel being much more in demand when people realized that there were some nut jobs out there that actually would try and break into our temple during an initiation and disrupt it and they would actually have to potentially use force with a sword against disruptors like david griffin and you know the only reason our sentinel she told me technically a fulax i guess but i think those that name is in question in golden dawn history but whatever she told me many, you know, we're still in touch. She, the only reason she didn't actually, like, you know, use force on him is because it's Canada. Hmm. You know, so David Griffin wouldn't be alive today had our temple been in America. Because he assaulted, he broke in and assaulted her and tried to get hmm. into our temple during a neophyte initiation. So how can that guy claim anything other than a demonic desire to destroy everything that, that all of us have worked so hard to preserve, you know? He's a brutal guy. But after that, people were like, Sentinel's hardcore because we had a huge claymore that that one of our blacksmith members made. It was so heavy, I could barely hold it. It was huge, wow. you, to, you know? And she had it up against his throat, you know? Like, get the fuck out. Of course, then all then all 50 members came out of the temple. The, even the dais officers like, what's going on? We'd never had initiation interrupted before. But there's David Griffin wow. like, trying to push past her and a sword blade at his chest and we forced him out and that's the worst i've seen in 20 years over 20 years now was some lady that walked into the house she was she was going to a party and she just no she just i don't even know where the party was but she just saw the house with all the cars and just walked and someone had forgotten to lock the back door and she just walked in. What's going on? And we're all in there and all this Masonic, you know. <laughs> she was just going to What's Huh? Is this the party? No, imagine... You walked in the wrong house. This is imagine... not the party you... It's a party, but not the party you looking for. <laughs> oh, my God. That person. That's, that's the worst that's happened to us. We've never had anybody try to... Yeah. Dude, that's way more funny than anything I've ever heard of. I, yeah, just waltz right in. Poor <laughs> lady. Party and you're like walking to a golden dawn temple by accident. It's like I think maybe I didn't understand the invitation when I decided to come to this party, but uh I'm gonna nope right on out of here. Yeah, she was just <laughs> in the wrong place, right? She yeah. Oh yeah, like I said, I don't even know what house she was trying to go to. She we didn't know her. I mean, it was just she saw a, a house with a bunch of cars and the door was yeah. open. Looked like a party. <laughs> oh, that's, that's too funny. Oh man, it's too funny. Yeah, yeah. It's it's such a it's such a interesting. Um, oh, I don't even know. Priesthood. Want to talk about priesthood? Mm. So, okay. Let's go into it. Let's just talk. Like people think that priests or or ordination often creates an ontological change like your fun the the traditional teaching is there's an ontological change in someone who was ordained to the priesthood same as there is this is we're talking traditional okay. roman we're going to start with the roman catholics 
because you know they're the ones with their own country um okay <laughs> their own empire <laughs> so you know baptisms an ontological change ordination of the priesthood's another ontological change and then the super scion final ontological change would be the bishop bishophood bishopric right and well, unless uh, you're elected pope i guess so that probably would count as one but for example things like archbishop is not is administrative it's not considered uh, ontological or anything like that and i think of course you know if you study philosophy you might come to the conclusion that the idea that of any kind of ontological change which means change at the source of who you are a fundamental change to the basic nature of your being setting you apart from the nature of other people i generally do not like the idea of ontological changes at all I don't generally like the idea of ontotheology at all, the idea that there's a single primary source and you're either right or you're wrong and there's no two ways about it. I think that kind of thinking has many problems. I can't disprove it, of course, or anything. That's not even what the philosophical project when it comes to, you know, this is about. But it does shape how we understand what it means to be a priest or to be ordained or even to be baptized in, in, in this life. And there's a big confusion that people have that if you don't do things a proper way, it doesn't occur, right? But a lot of the times people don't realize that, that the proper way of things being done is different tradition to tradition. So then you have competing valuations of what is true and what is less than true. So someone on Facebook's asking you, oh, well, you're ordained, but were you given the Eucharist? Which, as soon as I saw All the right. question, I was like, this is the stupidest thing I have ever that was. That was, I mean, well, the thing is, you when you get questions like that, especially online, you know, and you, I, it wasn't just that statement, it was other verbiage that that particular questioner was using in the conversation you're referring to here was, uh, it's, it's, they're leading questions. The idea is they're probing. They're looking for something that they can pick apart. They're they're looking to pick a fight, you know. And that's just not what any of this is about. That's not. It's it's like I said in 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 a comment in that in that that thread is I said this is what it's jackassery like this that gives you know priests, lodge magicians. You know, ceremonial magicians. I mean, just everyone on this whole side, uh, Martinists, Masons. I mean, everyone, everyone on this kind of side of the esoteric aisle. We have this horrible reputation, and that kind of jackassery is the source of it. You know, it's like I'm going to come over and basically take out my my penis and start waving it around and demand for you to take yours out and wave it around too, or else. And, you know, that's just that's just a game I absolutely refuse to play and I will never play. And I it, and I made it very clear in that conversation. And it's 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 a message that I want to get out there. You know, someday Chick won't be with us. You know, someday even Tabitha, you know, will leave and, and that'll leave us. That'll leave me. That'll leave my wife. That'll leave the other adepts in our temple. And you know what happens when the leader of an order passes away you know what's coming an avalanche of absolute bs suddenly people claiming they knew them who never met them people claiming they knew things about them that, that you know i mean it just it's just going to come i know it's coming and for me it's very important 
in that case and in other cases, you know, as our generation gets older and more of our elders are about to start passing over that bridge, you know, and I will not play that. My initiation is bigger than your initiation. You know, my, my warrant is, has, has better ink on it than your warrant. I mean, that is just such absolute missing the point nonsense you know that is the exact opposite of doing the capital w work and i will absolutely never have any part of that you know so it was a very sad thing for me actually that's why you saw me jump to uh, some some people would probably see me as coming to your aid which is certainly not the case uh i was just infuriated to see this person who is another chief of a golden dawn temple not the order I was in, not the order you are in, but a different order and a highly regarded order, I think. Um, and and all he and uh, and worse worse than that than that than that status. He's a Gnostic priest as well, though I don't recall what lineage. But worse than all of that, he was a student of mine over twenty years ago. So to see someone that I taught, you know, when I back when I was a young adept succeed to being the head of a temple in a in a major like you know Zaleski's order is very well regarded um at least in lineage if not in functionality these days though i don't know because i have no personal knowledge of it these days but to see him speak out and treat you that way over your ordination which is as valid an ordination i think as any under god um and trying to test you like this testy language of like, yeah, but did you get the, mm-hmm. or did you get the Eucharist? Because if you didn't get the Eucharist, then you're maybe not an, or like, what the fuck are you talking right. about? You fucking. And kid. if I had answered, yes, I got the Eucharist, it would have been the next thing. The goalpost would keep moving. It's and that's not how this questioning. Works. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, you got the Eucharist, but was it, you know, this kind of Eucharist or was it done in this particular way? And then after we hashed all that out, it would have been the next thing. And then the next, it never would have been good enough, which is why I won't go down that road. Good. Because, no. you know, between you and me, and I, of course now, you know, who knows how many people are listening, but, you know, privately, because you didn't walk up to me in public and demand the information from me, I, I'm happy to say, of course there was a Eucharist in my ordination. Who wouldn't be given the Eucharist at their ordination? Why would you even ask me that? There's only one reason to ask me that. It's because you're trying to pick a fight. And 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 it's like, and, and, and trying I said to invalidate before, you, your ordination, in to... the eyes of the world, because it was on Facebook. Exactly. Everyone was watching. I couldn't believe my eyes. And when right. I looked at his line and, of and logic, for what? for what reason? For you what know? reason? I mean, if if I'm running out there defrauding people and I'm a problem, then absolutely call me on my BS, challenge me, you know. But what have I done that made this guy come? And it's not even me. You know what? Let's let's take I out of it. And I think I said this to you at the time was that it's not even me you're calling into question because I'm open about my ordination. I posted a picture of my bull of ordination and I did that because I offer services to people that require an ordained priest to do. So I think they have a right to see my bull of ordination. Okay. And I'm open. You can see the name of my church. You can see the name of who initiated me. I don't have to share any of that with anybody. No. So when I show that bull and you see that Chick Cicero was the bishop who ordained me, and you immediately start asking me, well, did you do this? Did he do that? Did you? You're not calling my legitimacy into question. You're calling his. 
what has Chick Cicero done to make you think he may be somehow illegitimate? This man has done more for the Western esoteric community than anyone in probably the past several hundred years. Golden Dawn, Masonry, uh, they're, they're now, you know, he and his wife, right? Really, it's really Tabitha and him. Uh, Tabitha's leading the way on, re, on refounding the SRIA, which, by the way, is where my church comes from. Um, you know, they're doing all of this work and they have published all of these books and this entire library of resources and they have spread temples around the world and they have dedicated their lives. And as try, you know, try as hard as some people might, they no one's been able to get any real controversy. There are no Cicero victims to point to no one who's been harmed by them. No one who's, you know, it, they've no one has been, you know, they've never been arrested for anything or, you know, and that, these have been just good people who've done hard, thankless work for their entire lives. Why would this person come to me and start questioning whether Chick Cicero is legitimate? So it just, that's why I mentioned Chick before and that he'll be gone someday and not there to defend himself. And I, I, I am flabbergasted that someone would call his legitimacy into question. Like you believe that, you know, he runs the, you know, he, he founded the modern golden Dawn. None of us would be doing golden Dawn without Chick Cicero at all. I mean, I don't care what lineage you come from. None of us would be here if he had not laid the foundation. And no one questions his legitimacy there. And he is a very high-ranking Mason. And I have not seen a single Mason ever question his legitimacy as a Mason or the offices that he holds there. And I, I could go on with the list, and it's not my place to do so. But my point is, yeah. why, why all these things that he does, and he is solid there? But as soon as I say on Facebook that he, you know, he's he is a bishop in in a lineage, and I won't list out my entire lineage past chick because that's not your business and it's not my business to reveal that lineage. But I will tell you that Chick is my initiator. On we'll have that discussion because you were talking about ontonology, but on uh we'll talk about that later. But he is the one who ordained me, so it's his legitimacy that somehow in this one instance is in question i mean do you think you know chick cicero sent me a home ordination kit through the mail <laughs> do you think he called me up by phone and went yeah hey you're ordained congratulations you know no i don't think so uh so you know that river you know river the nematon the what now you, do you know who river the nematon is He's no. a YouTuber, a cultist. He's actually very good at, at Jewish Kabbalah. Like anytime I need to brush up on the difference between oh. like Zaire Anpin and Arik Anpin, I check out his videos. It was like, okay, good. Because he he really loves the Zahar and all that. It's great. So he's good. He, oh, that's cool. He, on his live stream the other day, he applied, he did the Universal Life Church. And now his YouTube handle is like got Reverend in the title. He was very Reverend about it. He's, he's now Reverend River because of the Universal Life Church. It's like, why not? But he was very open. I had that for a while. Yeah whatever the problem with with this person uh this this golden dawn chief and and priest uh questioning your ordination in the way he was for me wasn't so much that he was questioning chick though it may i'm really glad to hear you explain what that was like for you because chicks obviously has a such a, such a major role in your life personally in all our lives indirectly but in your life very personally right like he's your godparent godparent to your kids right if i'm not incorrect 
I don't know. He uh, most of what I know from he was a godparent, but he was actually the one that christened my my daughter. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So the problem with questioning your nation based on questioning Chick is is that theologically, what this fellow was doing wasn't actually questioning Chick. He was questioning Jesus in terms of biblical theology. That's what he was questioning. So when I was in seminary. I had lots of classmates who were already ordained. Why? Because they came from traditions where ordination comes by charism of the Holy Spirit. So if they're in their church and it turns out their gift is the word and they speak and they're ordained, it's like, oh, all of a sudden the church is like, you know, they all stand up. You're ordained now. Oh, my God. And then that kid is like, well, you can go to seminary and get a master's of divinity so you have some skills to work with. Or not, you don't have to. So I had classmates who were already ordained. They weren't in seminary to get ordained. They were there to learn how to, how to, uh, they were there to water the seeds of that charism that came from the Holy yeah. Spirit because all sacraments are performed by Christ except for marriage, the marriage sacrament in which, well, it's in which it, they're, all, they're all performed by the priest standing in for Christ except for the marriage sacrament in which the couple stands in for Christ. And the, the priest actually isn't necessary in Catholic theology. Um, if Because if two people in Catholic, in Catholic theology just start shagging and shack up together, they're considered married by Jesus. They're married. Yeah, they're married. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're married. And if you want to then marry someone else and the church finds out about that first little thing, you have to get it annulled. Even if you were just calm. Oh, yeah. See, I didn't know that. I've heard oh, of that yeah. <laughs> well, I learned I learned the good shit when I went to school. So, like, you know, wow. I wish I actually had a I don't have any ordination certificates, but I've had too many ordinations to count. What I did get was the Master of Divinity. And so that's what I that was my take. That was my my way of my uh the thing I realized, like if this guy was gonna talk the shit he was talking publicly to you, and this is an ex student of mine, you know. I was like, okay, let me show you how absurd this is, right? You're claiming an ordination and comparing yours, your ordination to, to, to father, brother, leeches here. But you don't have any education, right? So why don't I declare you invalid, right? It's all, and once you start right. doing that, you just, you just see how nonsensical the whole that whole way of thinking is. And he didn't, exactly. he didn't say shit yeah. after I talked and you just did a little... O face like oh shit when i wrote that like, oh. and it was over it was over and Burn. it should be over because it was bullshit yeah. he was talking theological nonsense and he was being a petty douchebag and i'm embarrassed to say this because i've always really liked this guy and there's people in his order who are there because i recommended them join it right i and yeah. and so it's like what are you doing what are you actually doing because there's very few of us around us gd people like yeah. you and him why are we doing this vitriol and and this petty narcissistic bullshit it, it is a little strange you know I, I i i do question and i say not question in the negative sense i mean like i actually wonder i actually wonder what it what his motivations were um you know like even the order that he comes from you know there sometimes you get hostilities between orders you know things happen people are people but, uh, you know, like my order doesn't have any hostilities, you know, with his order. So it's like, I'm not sure where the, the it seemed to be kind of a confrontational attitude. And I'm not sure where that was generated from. You know, he mentioned that he in the confrontation, he mentioned that there's the like this, this problem with uh, people just kind of 
I guess, ordaining anybody anywhere, you know, you're ordained, you're ordained, you're ordained, everybody gets to be ordained. And then just sending people out, calling themselves priests and priestesses or whatever, without any actual, you know, training or without actually doing any of the work or, you know, but would Jesus really care about that? I don't understand why he would think that, you know, of, of me and Chick Cicero of all people, you know, in the community, it, it baffles me why, you know, what he's seen or heard of me that makes him go, no, this guy, this guy doesn't know what he's doing or what he's talking about. So, but if that's how he feels, you know, there are people out there, you know, there are people out there who just do not feel that I have the slightest clue what I'm talking about. And that, you know, that's, that's fine. You know, I can't, you know, they say, if you don't, if you don't, if you, if you don't piss anybody off, then you aren't making any changes, you know, you're not, you know, like, like you pointed out, I, I write things about Anakian magic that have literally never been published before. And that tends to step on toes of other authors who have published before. And those authors sometimes don't like me for publishing these things, you know? So yeah, I do get ire sometimes. I do get people who dislike me, but in this particular conversation you're describing, I really have no idea of the source. I like, I had no prior you know uh encounters with the guy that i remember that that were negative or it was just a very strange stance for him to take right like right out of the gate yeah. you know i assumed you knew him pretty well because he's pretty well known in the golden dawn world but the big so so therefore but brother, not not like biggest... directly like like he and i knew each other you yeah. know what i'm saying it was just we knew of each other but the, yeah the it was biggest, just very strange yeah, like, the biggest burn for him in this situation is the fact that you don't really know even who he is <laughs> <laughs> well you know i mean again i'm not trying to say he's nobody i don't know what he oh, is no. we were not he's a we, we had not had many you know we had not had encounters and, all my memories of him are as a very a lovely guy he's got a great reputation as a very moral and ethical guy and so i was very and, surprised and i can't and i him. you know and and i'm only talking about the conversation not the person because i don't yeah. know him as yeah. a person yeah. for all i know he's a great guy i don't know what his motivation was i don't know what he saw in me or what i was saying that made him suspicious but he was suspicious it, and you know i refused to play along i would not <laughs> even tell him if i had had a eucharist at my ordination you know i just because there was another person in the same thread who had started before him you know it's very prying questions and yeah and you know i tried to be nice at first you know and just not answer but be kind of funny about it and they pushed, and I was just like, oh, then it's none of your effing business. There's your answer, because I'm not playing your game. And and I think he kind of came in in the middle of that, and maybe that was it. Maybe he just got the wrong idea or something, you know? I don't know. What would he, what would you say? Like, ha imagine how that would go down. What if you had happened to be ordained in a tradition that doesn't acknowledge the Eucharist? Right. What do you do with that? Like people forget we get so locked into our own way of doing things and our own sense of what the tradition is. We completely become myopic about the fact that there's other ways of doing things. And I and I'm sure yeah. we're, we're obviously all guilty of this because we all have what we we all focus on what we focus on. Um, yeah. 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 I even fall for it from time to time. You know, it's hard not to. Right. When you're especially yeah. when you're researching things that take so much concentration and focus it's easy then you hear something else and you're like oh that's nonsense but then you're like wait that's only nonsense because i haven't stopped reading about the shem hamafresh and for for a year 
let me think, you know, <laughs> like, let me think out of the and box. You know what, happen- what happens to me a lot too. And um, this is a lot of the reason why I love the Solomonic group is because like uh, someone will post something in there and just my first, cause, cause like you said, you, and it's not about study, but in this case it's about practice, you know, you have your practice and you're used to doing things a certain way, maybe the way your spirits want you to do it. So someone will post something and your very first reaction is no, this is wrong. You got it all wrong. And you got to stop yourself. And if, and if, and if, if I do that, if I stop myself and I wait for others, you know, Joseph Peterson might respond and Steven Skinner might respond and, you know, Adam Jonathan might respond and then they'll start, they'll have their own unique takes on it. And they'll be like, Oh yeah, yeah. I remember this grimoire over here, it says this. And then, you know, and then it's like, oh, thank God I didn't respond in my own first knee-jerk myopic way because there was 10 things that I had that I knew a decade ago and had long since forgotten that these guys are bringing back up. And I realized I, I would have been wrong if I had just posted and said, you know, been dismissive and, and you know, so yeah. it, it's very important to get get these other views. You know, I don't I don't think this subject is so big. I don't think it'd be contained in one person's head, you know. It takes all of us. And it's, and like I said, because of the scholarship and the way new books keep coming out, and I don't mean newly written books, I mean old books that are discovered and translated for the first time and, and the way, you know, it keeps changing everything. So it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to get caught in a myopic view and, and trip over yourself when you do it. So it, it, it it's good to, to keep, keep, keeping an idea open. Cause like you said, there are traditions that don't use the Eucharist and I was even being dismissed. I mean, I fell for it myself, right? Because I just said to you a few minutes ago, well, of course there was a Eucharist at my ordination. You know, what kind of an idiot would think that there wasn't a Eucharist at my ordination. So there I was doing it. There could be people listening that are going, Hey, there wasn't a Eucharist at my ordination. So yeah, yeah you, you make very good points there. And, and you also made a good point and you're not the only one, by the way, who contacted me privately after that public conversation went down and made that point about the gifts of the Holy spirit. And that, you know, if, if God says, if God chooses you, you're chosen Mm -hmm. and there's no person on earth that can say otherwise, you know, there was no, nobody ordained Moses, nobody ordained uh, um, uh, Jonah, you know, God just, said look i got this job that needs done and you're the lucky bastard that it's in the right time and place to do it and yeah so and you see that a lot in like uh uh, some of the the folk traditions like in hoodoo and hexcraft and stuff it's you 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 earn your place in those traditions through your natural talent not through some other person telling you that or, or, or God, God forbid, you know, getting into the lodge systems again, you know, giving you a warrant or an initiation certificate, those things, man, those are the bane of our tradition, <laughs> those damn pieces of paper. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, you know, yes, I was ordained and I was ordained properly. Yes. There was Eucharist at my ordination, all of that nice stuff, but had none of that happened, you know, the only reason I was ordained, it was like on a whim. And I don't mean this, the ritual, I mean, the decision to ordain me, I had been thinking for a while about seeking it one, you know, it was churning in the back of my mind of maybe that's the way I should go. And then one day, two members of our temple came to me 
and wanted me to marry them, wanted me to officiate. And I, I mentioned earlier, I had the Universal Life Church thing. I had the certificate. So I was like, yeah, sure, absolutely, I'll do it. And Chick was sitting there and he said, well, why don't I ordain you so you can, you know, actually do it right? And so that was, I was like, right there, it was like a light switch went in my head and all the wondering if maybe I should do it just fell away. And I went, yes, let's do this. So, I mean... Yeah, it's it's so I mean, and the reason I told that story was because that, you know, that's the only reason I finally went through with it. It was never to me necessary that if I don't do this, I'm not, you know, ontologically proper to do the work that I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? I just felt it, it felt right for me to do it, but it never felt like, oh, you're not, you know. You're not, you know, because, you know, I did Abramelin, which is basically a method of making you a prophet. And of course, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the inner order. I'm five, six in the Golden Dawn. Um, and I considered those ordinations of a type, initiations. And, you know, like before I was ordained, I considered my five, six in the, in, you know, that ceremony we talked about, that five, six ritual. I considered that my ordination, you know. So, yeah, to me, it's always been a magical and a practical thing. And now, a word from our sponsors. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., Explore the esoteric through the Western mystery traditions, from Kabbalah to alchemy to ceremonial magic and beyond. Join Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcasts with your host, Frater RC. Visit magicwithoutfears.com for exclusive membership and bonus content. Thank you very much. While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or $6 a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. And then, you know, just taking an actual ordination was just a personal step for me. It's what I felt I needed to do. It felt right for me. So, And most, I think I can actually say this quite confidently, that most, and I mean that, most theology would see the ceremonial ordination as a uh, an enactment, a confirmation of the initial 
impetus which comes from the holy spirit you're either called to ordination or you're not when i when i started seminary i was roman catholic actually and i was about to get married so what am i doing well i was planning on joining the uh the married diaconate then after a year Mm. uh, the marriage the new marriage wasn't going so well um probably due to the fact that i was in school all day every day and then at the golden on temple all night every night not much time for the lady wow for the new bride yeah unfortunately um i thought she understood the deal going in but you know you're young we were i was 23 so you know <laughs> the uh the um what was that don't lose it don't lose it don't lose it oh so um i talked to my teachers i talked to my archbishop adam exner and the roman catholic archbishop and i talked to my spiritual director who was a bishop in the anglican church and we all talked and someone said, why doesn't he read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis? And then we'll talk again. So uh, they they had me read it. And it was cool to see the Anglican, which for you Americans, Episcopalian, uh, same thing, same church, same communion. <laughs> it's not just a different name. Yep. It's not a different name because it's a different group. It's the same group. People don't realize that sometimes. Same group. Anglicans and Episcopalians are within yeah. the same communion. Um, and so it was cool to see the Roman Catholic Archbishop, um, this old Austrian man, who spoke English with an Irish accent because he learned English from a father O'Donoghue, which was adorable. He's like, oh, old, old that's Austrian funny. And I tell you, no, that the reason the Holy Spirit <laughs> comes down, he's like, and that is why, you know, it's this weird mixture of Austrian German English with Irish accent. It was like, oh, what that's the hilarious. fuck is going on? He was a lovely archbishop. <laughs> he did, he did maybe occasionally get drunk and throw bottles at priests but you know we all are imperfect in our own ways mm. i don't want people to think that i'm um, a papist so i'm just gonna give that little bit of uh yeah human beings we're all human beings my other bishop talked to that bishop they're like i read that book and then i was like you know what i could be an anglican it would probably be easier and my bishop was like look the fact is you have you have a vocational calling to ordination whether that's diaconate or or, or priestly not really an issue i'm like so i should become an anglican deacon they're like well no they're like no because now that if you're going anglican now with us which was a process of course you know it meant instead of going to mass every day at noon i went to anglican worship every morning at 7 a.m before classes smart call hey <sighs> right <laughs> nice and fresh and it was a lot of work but you're right and so much money you have to show up like if i missed my bus man i would pay oh, 50 no. bucks for the cab because it was costing me 50 bucks an hour to be in seminary like a class to be in wow you know? so it's like yeah, yeah. Well, you know just you know anyway so you know i went anglican they're like no you may as well be a full priest now i'm like well, i think the diaconate's more for me and maybe i would have been right because i never did get ordained in the anglican church i went on to doctoral studies instead but i fucking loved mm. going through the experience and i wish i had sort of actually stayed on the diaconate track because i probably would have been able to get ordained then in the anglican church and then just gone off as an academic mm. priest but there was a big push 20 years ago when i did this um to not ordain priests who were going to be scholars which i think is a mistake that the anglican church is making it's a mistake the roman catholic church hmm. certainly does not make they do not they love yeah. ordained academic phds but the anglican church is like oh, yeah. they were like you can be ordained but we're sending you up north to northern british columbia and if you don't know what that means boy i tell you what it's 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 not a it's not a it's not a uh, walk in the park you know, um, oh. Northern British Columbia is not not for beginners. Um, 
And I was like, I don't want to go do that. I want to go to 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 Lampeter and do my PhD with Nicholas Goodrich Clark at Ex at, at Lampeter. Then he moved to Exeter. But anyway, so I ended up not uh, following that through. Of course, I did. My favorite ordination is by Granny Rainbow in the Fellowship of Isis. You know, that's that's the one I'm going to rely that That's the one that counts, in my opinion. And that just happened just the other year, you know. But she's my favorite. Wow. And, and she she was, you know, a student of Paul Foster Case. And, uh, you know, she I think she just passed. But no one's no one's talked to me there anymore. So oh, anyway, I'm glad we got to talk about priesthood, man. This is awesome. And we yeah, do, and yeah. We have time to dive like into I said, it. highly controversial and see what do we talk about? A controversy. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's great. It's great work. Um yeah. I'm I'm curious to uh dive into a bit of uh we have time, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to dive into Enochian a bit more, like properly, if that's okay. Okay. With yeah. So I first started, my first introduction to the Nokian system was as a young adept in 2000 in the order. And they, we were working with the Benorum angels of the Heptarchia. But of course, we, we, we were fixing all of Dee's mistakes. So we lined up all the princes and the kings to be of the same planet. Right. Mm -hmm. And after that, the next step was corresponding them, of course, to the stations of the cross. That's interesting. Doesn't sound familiar to you probably at all, but this is what I was being taught. You know, because we were doing yeah. our own thing, right? And next right. thing you know, we were working on talismans and sending adepts with those talismans after consecrating them and working on them for a year in group work around at all our temples around the world. Then we sent a few adepts to Jerusalem to put them into the sacred places to help stop the war and the fighting and all of that. So that was my first introduction to Enochian outside of the basic liturgical stuff that we used to do the initiations and open the watchtowers and that sort of thing. And then, of course, like you know, the call of the portal, SIRP, watchtower stuff. Um, right. Consecration when, of the did, you start, yeah. did you start studying Enochian before you got into the Golden Dawn or because you got into the Golden Dawn? Oh, no. I was already um, mostly done with the, the, the Angelical Language Volumes 1 and 2 before I got into the Order. Wow. Um, yeah, I was working on that, and I think it was, yeah, I was working on that on my own, because it was shortly after I got in the order that Llewellyn contacted me. It was a guy named Jim Garrison. He doesn't work there anymore, um, but he he contacted me and asked me if I could write for them, and the first thing I offered him, I said, yeah, I've been working on this really awesome, you know, Enochian dictionary. It's actually 900 pages long. And uh, um, he said, that sounds great. I said, but I'm also wanting to work on a, a book about the Grimoires. And he says, well, the Anakian book sounds great, but we really want the Grimoire book, if you can do that one. So I actually put the Anakian dictionary, the lexicon, on hold. And it was mostly done, but I had to put it, the, the finishing work on hold. And I spent two years writing Secrets of the Magical Grimoires because Llewellyn had asked for it first. <laughs> And then uh, I guess it was, well, that finally came out in 2005. There was like two or three years that it sat at the publisher before they finally released it. Um, so it finally came out in 2005. And I'm now forgetting the years that he, all the Anakian books came out. But those actually, I mean, I must have worked on those things for 10 years or something before I finally published them. And that was, I'd only been in the order maybe 
two or three years, maybe four years or so. So yeah, I was working on that stuff long before I got into the order. So what 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 sort of years are we talking about? Just out of curiosity, because again, I'm just a fan and curious. Well, you got to figure. I graduated high school in '92, moved out west. I would have been down in Denver by '93, so that's when I would have picked up my first Anakian book. Because I remember, I actually remember it. I was at a, I was at my girlfriend's apartment, and she had a roommate. And of course, every everyone in our little group in Denver, we were all occultists and witches and stuff. So we were standing in her apartment. Her roommate was showing me all of his magic books. And he says, hey, you know, you know, you know, in, in fiction stories and movies, whenever you see a magician and he's chanting something from a magic book and he gets something wrong and like, you know, his head explodes or he barfs up bullfrogs or, you know, some kind of chaos ensues because he mispronounced a word. I was like, yeah, he says, yeah, this is where that comes from. And he handed me a book off of a shelf. And it was a Schuler book on Anakian magic, yay. and uh, yeah, you can hear you can hear the the the, the audience of Schuler. Going, Schuler my serious study hat. This is the serious. Right hat. there, you go. Right now, you know and I'm ready. Now, now remember, serious magician remember, studying the Schulers. Yeah, and it's, but you got to remember, I don't know anything at this point. I am just starting out on this stuff, right? I mean, I had like maybe only been handed Don Craig's book, uh, you know, a couple of months before this. So I am green. So I pick up this Schuler book and I open it up. And of course, the first thing I see is all these wild names. You know, and the guy had just told me, this is the magic that where you have to pronounce everything perfectly or else, you know, and I look at these words and it's like clearly unpronounceable <laughs> or, you know, it just seems unpronounceable words. And I'm like, yeah. what the hell is this? And of course, you know, there's all of these magical grids of letters and numbers. And 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 it's like, and then if you want this angel, you've got to anagram the name this way. And if you want that angel, you got to take the same letters, but anagram them, the, you know, and all these elemental correspondences like, holy crap, I got to know about this. I got to learn about this. So that was my introduction. So you know, I figure I joined the uh, uh, the Golden Dawn in '98, so I'm I, that that was a good solid five years where I got from picking up my first Schuler book to actually working on the lexicon, trying to make sense of the language, and then and then I joined the order, and I think I was still kind of working on the lexicon when I joined the order. That's so cool. Huh. God, I can't believe I joined in 98. That sounds like it comes from a whole different timeline. <laughs> you know, it sounds it's, like it's it what sounds the kids, ancient. You're saying it wrong. You have to you have to say it like the Zoomers are now saying it. You joined the Golden Dawn in the late 1900s. In the late 1900s, yes. The uh the late 20th century. <laughs> yeah. Um I think cuz I'm old yeah. and ancient now. Yeah, well, you probably noticed I'm, I'm doing these diary reviews of mine on YouTube and stuff and for my students and and uh, reviewing my old diaries from the 90s. And it's been a trip. It's been a real, a real eye opener, actually, because they've been all wrapped in silk for 20 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know? it, it's but, so cool to look back on that old stuff, wow. you know. The shit I was I've really been... bad. I've always been bad at keeping journals. You know, everyone says you keep your magical journal and I've just been so bad at it. But what little I do keep and then I find again later is just like it's amazing to see it and how far you've come and yeah. It, yeah. I I uh 
I had a, I did a lot of work in the '90s uh, on Yeats's Celtic Mysteries, doing starting with contemplations of all the gods, development of sigils, scrying, then creation scrying to figure out colors for the god forms, then god form assumption plus invocation plus a little contact work and like automatic writing, then of the invocation from them. Those diaries unfortunately got taken and stolen, so oh, I have to re I'm going to recreate man. that work. But I do have my main order grade diaries from from pre-neophyte up through five six so that's really cool um and that's what i'm just sort of doing little videos on them i most of the videos are just for my main inner circle you know students every week but some of them i put up on youtube just because i think it's interesting and it's like i don't know i'm learning stuff as well so it's 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 pretty cool but yeah i hope people i i was always i was always horrified by people who said you're meant to burn your diaries it's the proper way and i was like well then why do we how do we have grimoires if that's the right thing yeah, right yeah. yeah it seems so selfish to me like if you're burning your diaries i admit this is a bad thought but sometimes when i was you know a young student in the golden dawn listening to other members talk and being like talking about you have to burn it otherwise you're you're not hardcore my thought was always maybe you're burning your diaries because they suck <laughs> i guess there's nothing useful in them <laughs> because that's where I put my greatest insights, my greatest experiences, and my greatest failures. The idea of eradicating that from existence to me seems like a betrayal of the entire tradition that I owe for what well, I... Not only that, but I tell my students, you know, like, um, they'll come to me, like, this happens with Abermelon all the time, you know, they're several months in, and it's like, oh, I... You know, I had this vision and I saw this and I experienced that and I got this message. What should I do? And it's the answer is always the same. You do nothing. You write it down in your journal. And then later on, after the ride is over, and maybe even years after the ride is over, you can come back, back to these journals and you might see where that vision you had was important or the message you were given plays into something that happened to you in the years after, you know. Maybe it'll be nothing. Maybe it's complete, just gobbledygook coming out of your brain. And if so, it'll sit in your journal and just sit there and you'll never look at it again. But if it's meaningful, you'll be able to come back to it. So if I told my students to burn their journals, how could they ever come back to those things? You know, how could they ever look back on those notes they kept? And it, it just, it, that doesn't make any sense. This one diary entry I went to, uh, when I first started looking at them during the early days of my podcast in COVID, uh, I noticed some diary entries that I, at the time, meant nothing to me. The, and the reason they meant nothing to me, I realized, because I was raised by an astrologer mom in the New Age. I went my whole life in Waldorf school. I've been K through 12, never been to a public school. So I was around anthroposophists all the time. My main professor, actually, in high school was Idle Tim, Dr. Idle Tim, whose doctoral dissertation in Hamburg in the 70s was called Yates und Nietzsche. That was his PhD. Mm. So, you know, when he saw me reading Levy, Levy and, and William Wynne Westcott, he would be like, oh, that's a good one. And I would be like, what the fuck? And, you know, so next thing I know, like I'm at his house, like teaching me everything, looking at his books and mentored by the guy for four years of high school. I essentially had a doctoral level mentorship before grade 12, which was really great. And he oh, knew nice. I joined the Golden Dawn during that time. Right. So he gave me and he, he had spent a lot of time with with Yates's daughter well during his dissertation years because he was living in ireland oh, wow. playing as a guitarist singer in a celtic band of course because that's what germans do you know um it's true <laughs> it's true any any deutsch listeners here 
sie weiß, was ich, was ich meine. Um, the point of all that was what? Um, so, yeah, the context of, of uh, not being in a public school, I guess I'm sure I sort of lost my train of thought there, but not being in public school, oh, not, having this, not having this uh, understanding of sort of, oh, I did lose my train of thought. Ah, it happens. Oh, it's happened to me a dozen times, <laughs> giving interviews or lectures. And then I just, I get sidetracked on something else. And then I forget what the hell I was talking about. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting detail. <laughs> Don't even feel bad about it. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. Well, damn. Mm. I forget what the, the leading lead in point was. It sucks. You're talking about Yates and weight and, and breeding those guys and. Yeah, I know, but there was a lead-in point. Oh, well, I'm sorry, listeners, because the listeners, this is what sucks I've realized about podcasting is because the listeners aren't doing anything but listening. So they know exactly where you were, and they're like, how did you yeah. not find that? They're screaming at the ago. screen right now. But, You're but I'm like, I'm recalling, I'm recalling the past. I'm looking at you. I'm distracted by your cat behind you licking itself. I'm having, I'm also having like the time of my life. So it's like, of course, I'm going to forget shit. This podcast is always, I, this, one of the intentions was to make you know a slightly a slightly party podcast which is why like mm. you know there's there's interviews like my one my first interview with rufus opus that starts hammered oh yeah <laughs> it started it didn't get hammered it started hammered at 3 a.m you know with wow with harper yes. harper in the background pretty, going from uh... room to room and they have just broken up and he's like yeah we're broken up there uh, oh my god but you know i thought it would be fun for the occult a culture to have a a mix a, a podcast that mixes like the you know experienced magician stuff with experienced academic stuff mixed with maybe sometimes we'll get drunk and do mushrooms <laughs> it's a hell of a con it's a hell of an idea for a show i tell you that <laughs> hey and it's it's worked so far. I mean, this thing blew up way bigger than I could ever have thought. I didn't think it would take off at all. I've started many, many podcasts before and they never took off. This one happened too, um, which is why I got stuck with the name Magic Without Fears. Like Marco Visconti's is Magic Without Tears. I didn't mm -hmm. know that. The, the URL Magic Without Fears was free. There was no book published that. So I assumed it was uh... good to go. But the reason, and then, and then the podcast took off because it was COVID and, and, and I got stuck with the name in the same way Jethro Tull did, you know, they changed their name every show because to get a new gig, but the show that they took off on and got invited back to play, they happened oh. that night to be called Jethro Tull, but they were Jethro cycling Tull. through names. I didn't know that. Gig. Yeah. That just happened to be the name they were playing under that week. Cause they had every time they played and they sucked and no one came, they had to change their name to get invited back and the gig they did. Well, that's what they were called. And that's why this podcast has been stuck with Magic Without Fears ever since, even though I I, I wasn't attached to the name at all. It works. It has a nice <laughs> ring to it. Thank you, sir. But yeah, so okay, I mean, 90s magic Enochian. I wanna I wanna say about the Enochian um stuff because I think there's just so much there that people don't realize, especially when it comes to understanding the differences right. between the modern variations in the system and the older D formulations. And obviously there's so many issues that, that 
that you have to take on, like the different variations of the tablets, their placements. For example, something me and some of my students are working. Some of us are doing the 19-day the ritual, right? right. Okay. Um, and some of us have already done it, and some of us are prepping for it. I'm not going to say more than that because it's personal, you know, it's ongoing works. But what was interesting to me to realize is that even though D adjusted the, the watchtowers and the great table and their position throughout over time, right? And then as you pointed out in your book, the, he didn't update that the diagram that shows the directions, mm -hmm. right? So you have to change that tablet and change the diagram because he updated it but didn't change the thing. Yeah, because yeah, the angels had been giving him everything. I may get this backwards. So if you look it up and it's the I other way, right forgive here. me. But I think the angels have been giving him everything in a Z pattern. So like if you think about the great table, it's got the four quadrants. Uh, so he assumed that they would be giving him the information for the upper left quadrant and then the upper right. And then diagonal down, the next one would be the lower left column and then the lower right. And that's how they had been giving him all the information was that pattern. But then for some reason, when they actually gave him the lettering for the great table, they went clockwise. So they went upper left, to upper right. But instead of going diagonal, they went straight down to the lower right. So they went upper left, upper right, lower right, lower left. Yeah. So he originally, when he drew down the watchtowers, he had those two watchtowers on the bottom in the wrong places. <laughs> so yeah. he had to switch those. But that diagram that with the flags, with the 12 banners, that he drew that diagram when he thought the watchtowers were the other way. And then for some reason, he never updated that diagram. And it actually made it into his um, his personal grimoire, the 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 uh, Soul 3191, the one that became Jeffrey James' uh, um, um, Anakian magic book. Yeah. That was D, that was basically D's personal grimoire is what that was. Yeah. And that diagram is in his grimoire. He copied it over, but he didn't fix it when he copied it over. So it's led to a lot of confusion on exactly where the watchtowers are supposed to be in the great table so in your personal work now you do stick with the diagram as it's shown in your corrected version here the corrected version yeah, yeah right so there. yeah so, so that the, is the way that they are arranged in the in the rest of his work in the rest of his journals that is how they're arranged it's just that one diagram that he he left the 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 three names of of the of one quadrant and the and the three names of the other quadrant switched what what made it really sort of uh, after me and one of my, my my one of my main students after we spent four hours one day really just zeroing in on the different nuances of the different form formulations in com in contrast with the 19 day operation what stood out was the fact that he he does have he does the 19 day operation has certain allocations and that deproduced that later on right so that's clearly the layout that makes sense for that initiation so right now i'm in the middle of making new watchtowers because i have golden dawn ones but i'm making new ones based on the layout for the initiation into the system and mm -hmm. uh, and that's uh that was helpful this to realize that the way the initiation is set up and the those allocations that that could be your first guidepost even if you do decide to work with uh like tabula recensa later on or recensa Mm -hmm. I, mean, I see the yeah, 
Well, everyone says Resensa, but I think I would, I would say Resensa. Yeah. Yeah. Technically, I think it mess it 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 could be Rakensa or Rachensa, but not Resensa. But I think Resensa is the funnest. Maybe Rachensa. A lot of times with those words, yeah, the C's. Well, we in it, because of our modern English, we we interpret them as an S sound yeah. when they're not. So yeah, it's probably not Resensa, but well, I think it's because I also see it as like the word recension. You know, like yeah. if you have a recension, like like the French recension of the book of Abermelon. So it just, it just sounds to my ear. Like it should say rec the recentia. Yeah. Um, but it's probably wrong. <laughs> I, it doesn't matter. Those, those aren't the words that I would worry about pronouncing. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> how, keys, how you, how those two might want to get a little closer. Right. <laughs> yeah. How, how we pronounce Latin is, whatever as long as the person can understand what you're saying which usually we can because latin's a very yeah. very clear language relatively yeah yeah it's pretty straightforward um so when it comes to we started when talking about Anoki and i talked about the the you know the the uh what we were doing with the bonorum king and prince with the 14 stations the lining up of them with the like the prince and the king to the same planet to me at the time in the golden dawn of course that's what i was being taught so it made sense but when i saw after hearing you your course with jason newcomb um that there's more nuance in the original material my thought was why would you eradicate and run roughshod over all this fabulous nuance like the idea that the princes correspond to a different planet than the king like that surely that seems to point to the fact that the relationships between these spirits are actual relationships and they mm -hmm. can't just smush things together because they have the same mark on their forehead or whatever. Right. You know, it's like um, with the nuances, um, a force of a force. You get some of that in the Golden Dawn, uh, mainly with the elements, you know, like you'll have uh, fire, but within fire, you've got all four elements. So you'll have fire, fire, air, of fire, earth, of fire, and water, of fire, you know, and it's the same with the planets. You've got like the king of Venus, um, who again I believe is what Balagon, and because uh, we were, we were I was trying I was trying to figure it out when before we started recording, but I think it's Balagon. But anyway, the king of Venus is Venus of Venus, and then his prince is the next planet in the list of of Venus, and then the next uh, royalty is the next planet of Venus. So it's like, yeah, it's it's always the planets operating in and with each other. So there's always this interrelationship going and and even with the way they're on, you know, they were given to D in this round table and they're not even all together. Like the, the king of the planet is in one list is in one line of that table, but the prince that's under him is not his prince. You have to go to the next section to get his prince. <laughs> and so it's, it's very, it's very encrypted, you know, it's very encoded and you yeah. have to know the secrets on how to pull the names out properly and who goes with who you know and yeah it's it's that's, that's the kind of thing that fascinated me like i said when i opened that very first book even if it's the schuler book and i make fun of the schuler books there it was enough to fascinate me because when you you know when you have a mind for magic anyway that you've got a mind that likes to seek patterns and anakian magic is all about these patterns through the tables and through the names and it's just it, it it grabs you. It's a puzzle, and it grabs you, and it won't let you go. It hasn't let me go now for what? 
what's it been since since 1993 what's it been 40 yeah. years i don't yeah. know i don't know i guess 30 years but yeah yeah that's uh yeah you got into enochian magic uh when i was uh you know doing my babysitter certification course at age 12 oh wow <laughs> well i wasn't that much older i would have been about what 18 19 or so i guess yeah you know i it, it, uh, two years later of course i was uh chanting aethers from from uh enochian physics or whatever by the schulers wow you know at I'm our wicked sabbats um well it was <laughs> what it was you know we we they, they the enochian physics my... came out and we were like showing our science teachers did you know about this did you know about this i had that book too actually uh someone got it for me as a gift that was the second schuler book i ever owned the first one was the uh the enochian workbook the really big one. Oh god yeah we were so disappointed and it, with that we tried and, you know, and the thing we is tried. And, I make fun of, of of the books, but the, the the big sin in the books was that they didn't actually say anything. Like if you picked it up in the store and you looked at the table of contents, it was like, oh, here's a chapter on how to scry in the spirit vision, and here's a chapter on the ethers, and here's a chapter on you know this is great. And then you get it home, and the chapter on each chapter is like a like less than a page long, and it just kind of says that yes, this thing exists. And then they go into the next chapter. So I was always, I always felt like I just wasn't getting anything out of those books, you know, but they were still the starting point. They were still what introduced me to it all, you know, and I might've yeah. moved on to better sources afterward, but you know, like you said, it is what it is. And it's, it's what got me started. You know, it was the first book I looked into and said, yeah, I gotta, I have to know what this is. How important do you think the role of Enochian magic and the spirits conjured through the tablets, you know, ye mighty archangels, angels, rulers, kings, and elementals are important, are to the elemental initiations in the Golden Dawn. Well, I mean, this is very much a hierophant to hierophant kind of question, eh? Yeah, it's, like, it's, 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 it's not an easy question to answer. But yeah, because it really depends on the, how you're looking at it. Like, for example, I could say they're not that important in the sense that there's nothing in the ritual. Like, you, there, there's no point in the ritual where you invoke specific angels out of the tablet to do specific things. You could put a lot more focus on the god forms. Of course, you know, that's we're getting into, you know, neophyte versus the element of rituals. But you could put a lot of focus more on the officers and their what they're doing and their forms and you know the different deities that are involved like like and like like i mentioned in philosophers and practicus you know you're taken around and you meet the different uh kabiri in one and you meet the different egyptian deities in another so you could say well the Enochian entities aren't even there you know so you could say they're not important but for each elemental initiation you begin by opening up the tablet of that grade now, I can quibble over whether or not it's the right tablet, you know, versus, you know, deep purist material, but that's not here, there, here nor there. In the tradition of the Golden Dawn, you start the grade, you, you, you call in the elemental force literally through that tablet by invoking its names. So in that sense, it's absolutely of primary importance. You literally couldn't do anything else without it. You know, it is the source of the energy that you're calling in and everything else flows out from it. So it's just, it's interwoven into the tradition in, in, a, in a very subtle way, you know, like 
the officers will see the Hierophant. The officers will participate in the Hierophant going over to the tablet and opening it at the beginning of the ceremony and then closing it at the end. In fact, the new initiate is actually involved, actually stands there with the Hierophant when the tablet is closed at the end. So, yeah, supremely important. But you're not going to find active, what you would call Enochian magic in the outer order. You know, that was all reserved for the inner order only. And of course they have their own, I say they, it's the golden dawn. I should be saying we, but I'm more interested in the deep purest stuff. But when you're doing golden dawn Enochian magic, they, they have their own way of doing it and their own very, very elaborate tradition, which is also, again, very interwoven into the greater golden dawn current and their tradition specifically um so yeah it is it is very important it, it is absolutely important I, I i don't i'm like if you were to take that out you could legitimately say it's not a legitimate <laughs> you know like let's say let's say you took the the the, the earth tablet out of the zealotor ritual you don't open it during the opening you don't have the 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 new uh, zealoter throw the salt toward the tablet. Um, you know, I'm not saying anything here that's not published. Um, you could make the case that that's not a legitimate zealoter ceremony. You know, but uh, yeah, there's there would be nothing in like we're not going to reveal any Anakian mysteries to an out of order initiate. We're not going to be given any Anakian rituals to do. You're not going to have to evoke any of those particular angels or you know what I'm saying. So yeah. none of that is of the of concern to the initiate, the candidate as they're going up through these graves. It only becomes more of a concern once you're in the inner order. And like I said, you get that inner order version of the script <laughs> and you get to see what's going on on the astral. And there, you know, the energies coming into the tablet and stuff become a lot more apparent and more important to what you're doing in the ritual. So yeah, it's no, not I a yes or yeah, it's not a yes or no answer, really. It's it's a subtle and nuanced kind of answer. That's why I asked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of those five dollar questions um, yeah yeah I'm, a lot of questions are like that you know there's never a black or white yes or no easy answer well yeah and what's interesting for me as someone who got to do several terms as hierophant blessed be he you know like privilege of the lifetime um the question sitting on that throne and I don't know if you you know what I mean when your sort of head opens up and then everything streams into the back of it and you're like oh I'm part of everything and all, you're like oh shit it's like you, the only way you can express the profundity of that is with silence honestly as you know and uh, but uh, the more you do it this you start to wonder where are the influence you start to you know feel the different influence in the temple and there's so much going on with the god forms there's so much going on with all of the stations and all that stuff but you know in recent years i started to ask myself the question how significant is the enochian in this because it was something i always took for granted and and i was wondering like um you can answer however you wish uh, on that but i'm also curious do you think westcott added the Enochian to the manuscripts before he gave them to Mathers? Do you think the Enochian was already in the manuscript, the ciphers? Well, I mean, that would all depend on whether or not I even believe Westcott wrote the cipher manuscript. No, I mean, I'm I'm taking for granted, you know, assuming that he didn't. I mean, we're assuming he didn't. Do you think if he, he didn't, then no. I think if he didn't, then no. I think the, the tablets and stuff were already mentioned in the cipher manuscripts, but uh, um, 
yeah, I'm not so sure that the the cipher manuscripts have much of an origin before the Golden Dawn anyway. So, and <laughs> and Westcott was Mackenzie the or one Hockley. who had the. What's that? It was probably written by Mackenzie or Hockley. Well, that's that's a pervading theory, but I mean, we don't know. I yeah, mean, it could have just as easily have just been written by Westcott, and we do know that Westcott is the one that was the Anakian, uh, the Anakian uh, Stan in the in the original order. I mean, we're I mean, even today, right now, we're still getting stuff um, comes into the order from other sources, other collections, and private collections and stuff. But we're still finding stuff that uh, Westcott did. Uh, 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 Tabitha just—I say just. God, this is years ago now. I but still she haven't published that it. book called "Yeah, Book of the Concourse of the Watchtowers." That apparently is—I mean, a lot. I've read the book, and a lot of it is the Concourse of the Forces that she just kind of elaborated on. But there's a lot of stuff in there, and I think she appended it onto the end. These tablets that Westcott had had created, and I mean just. There's just so much Westcott. So, so it's like whenever you think of early Golden Dawn and Anakin, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't uh, Mathers. He wasn't really that into the Anakin stuff. And as far as we know, Woodman, what his main thing was Kabbalah. And so, yeah, any Anakin inclusions in the Golden Dawn corpus, Westcott is, to me, is always the main suspect. That's why I was curious if you thought. He might I even suspect him it. for, uh, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> the uh uh what was it sloan oh no not sloan no maybe it was sloan i'm spacing right now but it's um the book that uh was published as the practical angel magic of, of john d and edward yeah. kelly yeah and it's the it's the it's the, it's the source book of 3191 yeah it's the it's the it's basically the source book for golden dawn and Akian magic that is where all the basic uh rules for what would become the order system are laid out. And I even suspect Westcott as being possibly the author of that. I mean, it's so interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like book H or is it book H? Book H. Thank yeah, you. Book That's H. what I was yeah. trying to come up yeah. with. My brain wouldn't. I've even written about book H and I couldn't. Thank you. Okay. So Teamwork, yes, book H. Better. I even suspect Westcott as being the author of book H. So it's, yeah, he's kind of the Anakian guy. From the original order i could be wrong but i'm saying that's my suspicion yeah. he's well he's that's always what, my first suspect that's why i think uh if if we assume that the ciphers didn't weren't written by westcott and i don't think the ciphers were written by westcott i think he did find them or get them given to him because hockley and mckenzie and there's all these if you because you know it's a it's so easy to think that the guys that westcott was like one of the first major cults it's like you no know, there's always been major cults like franz hartman hello you know there's like lots of major players you just never hear about like today oh, yeah. people people know who oh, you are a few people oh, they know didn't, who i am they didn't come out of a they didn't come out of a, out of a vacuum by exactly, a long shot right like for every person like you or me who is who is semi public there's 50 people that aren't yeah. and many of those people might be know just as much as us if not more uh and be just good we don't know they're not public who knows a lot of the greatest magicians you've probably worked with no one knows their names i'm guessing you no know no one knows them yeah yeah, they don't know. That's what I said earlier. You know, it's like where it comes to the Golden Dawn, you don't see me, you know, talk about it much in the public sphere. Um, you know, I'm not in Golden Dawn groups. I used to be in a couple, but I got out because I just couldn't stand them. You know, I don't even publish Golden Dawn books, at least not yet. I think I've I've been I offered something to like one Golden Dawn book was the Flying Rules book. Uh, uh, I love that book. 
Yeah, what was that a decade ago or longer now? But yeah, that's like that's been the most prominent Golden Dawn work I've actually published. So yeah, it's because it's it, it is it's your it's it's about your personal work, you know, and it yeah. really shouldn't be aired out in public because all it does is is result in like we were talking about with the ordination thing with people picking it apart and you know wanting to question each other and who's got the bigger balls and who's got the you know I just it's just better and and yeah so it's i happen to be a big mouth chicken tabitha happened to be a cult big mouth you know we're the ones who go out and publish or make videos or classes or whatever you know it is we're doing um and how both of us are running stores they've got the golden dawn shop i've got doc Souls. but there are hundreds of adepts out there you know that you just never hear about yeah well when people are not talk- publishing they're not running their mouths online or doing podcasts or you know yeah. that's yeah. like we do yeah well when i when i started doing the podcast and people started noticing me of course you know they're like yeah but who the fuck are you and like one of the many that just did my training i did my thing and then went and lived his life you know uh from from after i shut down the temple and gave up being imperator of canada for our order I was like, well, let's go live my life and see what all of this stuff I've learned can do in the world. You know, let's let's go test it. Let's go see what I can make of my life. And most adepts, that's that's all they ever do, right? Like you, it's easy. So many people talk shit, have talked shit, or do talk shit about you know the order I was in and zinc and all that. But it's like you know, most of the people who I met and trained with and trained by and and trained like. Most of them are wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And you'll never know their names. Some of them are even dead now. One just passed away, actually, rest her soul. Like a major teacher of mine from 96 onward, you know, just passed away of, I believe, Parkinson's. I don't, it's not good. But, you know, and these are, you know, you'll never know their names or their accomplishments. And these were often, often they're amazing magicians and amazing uh-huh. human people, human beings, right? And it's like, you know, I, that's what I love about the, uh, the uh, magical traditions is, generally outside of the group that you work with or the people who you learn from and the people you teach no one knows what you're really into because it's right. not important it's not important what we're gives the you exception the- we're not the rule <laughs> yeah right and I, I went public i don't even know why i went public and started doing everything i do i'm like i'm pretty transparent with my life these days and i i don't know what what triggered that honestly what i think it was was my higher genius like is like you got to do this now or you can do this now and i i know for a fact it's for a limited time i feel that which is why i'm burning so brightly with it and like so on fire with it like i wake up and i start and i don't stop till i go to bed i'm doing everything i can to serve people and then uh at some point i won't feel bad about vanishing to a cottage in some Celtic country one day with my <laughs> illin pipes and just singing hymns to the fairies till the cows come home and I die. Like, I won't feel bad about that. But I'm definitely going to enjoy this phase of my life as much as I can and connect with people like you and anyone else who wants to really dig their teeth into this material because it's so juicy and uh, life-affirming in my experience. I mean, very life changing in my experience. That's yeah, sure. life changing. I mean, damn, damn. If you're like, called to it, you know, but it definitely is a calling. It, I, I do believe, you know, as a Gnostic, obviously, I believe it's something that you're born to. You know, you're you're either you're either a Gnostic or you're not. You know, oh, yeah. and 
even in the Golden Dawn, you know, it's it's often missed, but it's said in the very in the neophyte, the very first initiation is that uh, you know, God can awaken into momentary life the magical passions in any heart, even the heart of a child, but they cannot reign unless you have the natural virtues, unless you're literally born to be there to use to be their throne. That's it. So, I mean, you know, that's why you have people that'll come through and then just vanish. But, you know, if the, if the work is being done right, especially once you get into the inner order, you know, if you take your five, six, there are going that it should slingshot you off in whatever your true will is. And for some people, it, they're going to be like chicken tabby. Their true will is to be golden donners to run the order. You know, and there are others of us who we become adepts and that is our calling to teach in that order, to help run that order. And then others are called to publish and they'll write books and they may give classes and lectures and it may be on magic, but it can also be on something else. You know, this this adept goes and becomes a, a, an accomplished astrologer. This adept goes off and becomes... Uh, an expert in, in in linguistics. This adept goes off and, and actually gets into politics and becomes a political leader. This adept, you know, so it's not always going to be magic. It's not always going to be occultism. But if the work is done right, it should take you to where you are supposed to go. You know, and it's been fascinating over the past couple of decades watching that happen to people, watching them work their way up to that order and they get into the inner order, and then you got to, you know, some of them stay and work in the order. Some of them have other things to do, but they also stay. And then some of them just kind of fly away, <laughs> and you never, you never even see them again. But whatever they needed to get from the experience, they got that they can apply to their life, and then they go on to achieve what they, what their true will was for them to achieve, which is a stark difference from what you hear people say online. You know, oh, the Golden Dawn system is flawed. All it ever does is produce broken people. And that's because those are the ones you hear from. Those are the ones who get online and make a bunch of noise and, you know, complain about everything and start fights with people and, and you know, break into people's homes and do all sorts of other ridiculous, crazy things because they didn't follow the system. They didn't follow it all the way through. They thought they knew better. They thought they didn't need to follow the system, that they were, they were, ascended beyond the system and that's those are the broken ones those are the ones who go out and uh, unfortunately give the rest of us a bad name but that's unfortunately the nature of that beast do you uh are you so are you are you heir apparent i don't think there's any such thing I, we're all just I, there doing the work i mean no, what I, I mean is when 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 the when are are you nobody, are you going to be in a leadership role? Are you going to be yeah, in a leadership just, role eventually in in your order? Well, I'm in a leadership role more than now. you. I, I mean, know that. I'm, yeah, I know that. I mean, I actually I actually hold an office position, a permanent office okay. position uh, in my temple. I don't really want to get into Enough a said. lot of Enough details said. on that. But um, yeah, I'm in a leadership role now. But as far as like heir apparent and all that, I mean, no one no one's thinking that way. You know what I'm saying? Well, I meant it in um, a cute way. Not, not literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, mean, I figured after a couple hours, I could be a little loose with my words, but maybe. Yeah, not. no, it's not that. It's just that you know, chick is is getting up there, 
And I'm sure he's at a point in his life where he's thinking about how he wants to arrange things. But I wouldn't want to see anyone in the order try to make a grab for anything. You know what I'm saying? Or try to insinuate themselves as like an heir apparent or something like that. Because we're really all just there doing the work. And if Chick were to go tomorrow, hope that doesn't happen. But if Chick were to go tomorrow, everyone, I can tell you right now, every single person in that temple would come together and make sure that everything that needed to get done got done. You know what I'm saying? So there are already leaders there. And they're very, very well trained. And, you know, they had a thing back when I first joined, um, filling the rows. Have you ever heard of it? No. Okay. What they, this was, now remember, this is 20 years ago. And they had this theory that if filling the rows means that among your initiates, you have, uh, think of the, the gold, the rows in the middle of the rose cross. So you've got the 12 outer petals, the seven inner, and the three and the three uh, central petals, right? So they said that the theory was to fill the rows, you have to have 12 five sixes, seven six fives, and three seven fours. And they felt that if they could fill the rows, that would ensure the order would last forever. That once the Ciceros pass away, the next generation could pick it up and they you could feel safe that it would go on into the future. Um, and like I said, they told me that little plan when I first joined. So that was a good, you know, over 20 years ago now. And I would say at this point, I, I, I can't say for the three middle, I know they, they have filled the rows. So I know they filled the three middle pillar, pillars, uh, petals. I couldn't say how many times over they filled those three, but I do know for a fact, the other petals of the rows have been filled many times over at this point so like there is absolutely no question that once they're done with their work you know and they lay down the their scepters for the last time that there is so many people people above the grade that i hold right now that are more than willing trained and capable and willing to pick up and keep that torch going so it, it it's it's something that's kind of on my mind you know a lot and, yeah you know just well, because of it affects all of us in the golden dawn world even yeah. part of your order yeah now, I, I imagine somehow, it will somehow it <laughs> it, and when and in that day when they do pass things on and we our generation becomes the elders of this tradition is 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 going to be a very strange surreal time it's i I can't even imagine what that's gonna be like and i know like i said earlier i know it's gonna bring a lot of bullshit i know there's gonna be so many people crawling out of the woodwork and that's why i'm that's why i put the hammer down on those guys in that conversation and why i'm making that so clear that i will not play that game and i will not tolerate that kind of stuff you know don't come to me acting like you knew chick and i've never heard him mention you you know don't don't come at me telling me what chick said and and, and and you know what I'm saying you know you know what's coming you've been in this community long enough to know what happens and I just I'm stealing myself for it so it wasn't that I was taking your joke too seriously but <laughs> I know that there's a lot of stuff yeah. coming there's a and reason I, and I have yeah and I want to make my stance so very very clear that to you to anybody listening to everyone in the community that yeah I, this is something I take seriously and I will not play the traditional games 
I I don't I I will not. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the order will run on even if I were to leave today. The order would go right on without me. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, and I'm really I was so glad when it became a home for adepts that left our order as well. Like you know, um, people who taught me like like uh you know we mentioned them already and like uh eric v cisco he was on the podcast and he's already talked about this so this has already been public he's already acknowledged all this stuff um yeah we've you know we've taken in members from several orders that he uh, was meant to get initiated into portal at our temple he talked about this already on the podcast so it's legit yeah. to talk about it and and i was trying to get him allowed in the initiation and they wouldn't let him in and so he left mm. our order, right? It's like to this day, I'm like, I still don't know how that happened to you. And I was in, that was the only portal initiation I ever got to be an officer in. And I was really sad to see someone I was sort of, you know, a teacher of get excluded. But you know, that happened a lot. Wow. Yeah. And it was so I'm so glad, you know, he of course went on to Griffin after first <laughs> and became Griffin's cancellarius. And then he joined your and he said on my buddy Edwards Esoterinard podcast. An, an encounter with you he said when he one of the when he was i think early working with you um you were, i think it was you were like so you were in zinc you were with zinc then you were with griffin and now you're with us he's like yep and you're like what's wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> well you know at, at the time this is, it you know, was this is my paraphrase of eric's words on yeah. the nerd podcast yeah well you know i've i've probably asked him more than once you know when <laughs> Yeah, people, just loves like it. I said, we've we've been kind of a refuge for I mean, people do sometimes get to us after they've been through very bad experiences. And I won't even name groups because there's more than one. And uh it's it like back when he came in, I probably did, had an incredulous view of it because I hadn't seen that kind of thing before, you know. And it oh, nice kind of flab- Yeah, you know, but 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 you know, it it, it impressed me too that that chick was willing to take them in and kind of give them a chance and not just, not just give them a chance, but I tell you something, I've watched these people and they come to us and they've been very damaged and you can tell and to watch them spend years with us slowly working through the trauma that whatever they've been through gave them, you know, and because it's linked to the golden dawn if it was a golden dawn group it's very linked to that symbolism and it's very linked to and then they come to us and we run things very differently you know and we give them time and we give them space and it's it's very fascinating to watch them sometimes you want to wring their necks you know sometimes you're just like get off the floor you know you're not doing anything right sit down sit down just sit down and watch but you you know we don't we don't do that we let them work and we let them work through and it's in watching them heal and watching them learn how to do things right and watching them kind of rebalance those energies within themselves and it's 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 fascinating and it's very heartwarming to see them you know it's it's like they find a family they were looking for a family when they found the bad group you know they were looking for that that connection and somebody took advantage of them and hurt them and then they come to us and they're very not willing to trust. You know what I'm saying? It, just the fact that they come to us at all. There's a lot of people that go through those bad experiences and then they never want to see Golden Dawn again, huh. you know? And um, and that's very sad, but I can understand it. You know, they, they experience trauma in that environment, you know? So that environment can be very triggering for that trauma, 
but the people who come to us and say no i i know this sucked and i know what happened to me was wrong but i want to do this i believe in the system and yeah i've watched it heal them and i've watched it get them back on their feet you know and that's that's very that's very heartwarming yeah and that that's that i mean that's 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 on top of the people like me who come to the orders as completely screwed up human beings i may not have come from a cold or an exploitative predatory group or anything like that but i had my own problems you know i had my own insanities i had my own issues and i came in and of course i came in like a like a like like i don't know like a lightning bolt you know i mean i just came through creating all kinds of havoc and everything else and surprised the ciceros didn't kick me out so you know so it's like regardless of what your traumas are and what you've been through it's like those the ciceros are just amazing and the, the patience that they have i tell you what i would have kicked me out of my order long ago I mean, as soon as I started with with the BS I put them through, as soon as I started with that, if it had been me, I'd have just said, dude, just get out of here. We don't got time for you, you know, but they never do. They always let people work through their 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 shit. They always let people work through their demons. And and it's it's kind of amazing. And then, then you see those people in the inner order and they're in that vault. And they're 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 finally they're that culmination of everything that they fought for and worked through, and it's just amazing. I know I'm going on. I should let you ask the next question. No, but no, I love. That's it. just one of the the most amazing things that you know to see in the orders. Like we said before, it's that life changing. You know, that's that's what it's for. that's that's what the Masonic initiations were supposed to be. You know, but then somewhere along the way they got lost and they forgot what that all meant. And now you've got the Golden Dawn initiations, which are, again, meant to do that, meant to mature you, grow you, rectify you, make you better, stronger, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we, I think we need to uh, uh, take Masonic initiations and add the DMT back into it. <laughs> uh you've been reading uh pj newman's books he's on the podcast <laughs> in a few weeks baby on is a masonic he? round table <laughs> i'm doing a masonic round table with him and lenny peterson and some other top masons and magicians and uh it's gonna be in it it's take i've been trying to arrange this round table since january mm. i've done two round tables that's gonna be nice the first one that's was gonna great. be nice the first one was great with um um who did Rod and Ring? You know the guy who did Rod, uh, Sam Sam Davis. Not familiar with Rod and Ring. Also, Reverend Zemi, who did Book of Flesh and Feather, which is over on my altar, and uh, he's the Jehudi uh, priest and writer. If you don't know Reverend Zemi, check out his stuff. His stuff, if you like Jehudi, especially, you know, amazing work he's done with Jehudi. And also Jack Grail and Celeste Mott were on the first round table. The second round, then that was great. The second round table was a shit show golden dawn shit show one guy bailed <laughs> last minute because oh my god he was like i want to rant about about this political stuff so you guys got to put up with that i'm like well what if i have a different opinion on it and he was like oh my god and like done he wouldn't be on it and so the it all fell apart and then just a few of us got together and talked shit for a bit so it wasn't really structured and not in my opinion that great but go check it out listeners if you want to see a fun time with golden dawn people ranting about stuff anyway 
And this new one hopefully will be the best one yet, the best one ever. And I've been putting it took a it's so hard to get all when you try and get five people together all at the same time. So yeah, that's... finally it looks like we're nailing it down, and we're gonna t- dig into the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, good. And DMT, because awesome. It his research, the facts at least, at least deserve to be highlighted, identified, highlighted, and honestly, when I read Angels in Vermilion, I was like, okay. Here's my experience. My my. I think everyone in the entire cult world, everyone, needs to read this, and then mm-hmm. we'll talk. Then we'll talk. Like, let's just. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's funny because he sent me that. Was it Angels? I think it was Angels and Vermilion. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, it was Angels and Vermilion because he sent me a copy of it, and because uh, I think I I I ended up writing a blurb for it. Well, okay, I wrote a blurb for it, but. I, yeah. It was kind of long, and I think he made it a forward in the book or something. Yeah. So I'm kind of I I can't wait to get my copy. But he sent me this, and I knew him from Facebook, and I only knew him from Facebook at the time, you know. So at this point, he's just a name to me, PG, you know. And you know, a nice guy. I talked to him, but he wasn't much more than a name. And you know, people give me books to read a lot, you know, and I try to read them when I can, you know, I really do. But sometimes I get behind and I can't get to them. And Angels and Vermilion was one that kept getting pushed back, pushed back. And I was just like, you know, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't want to read this thing. You know, I just, I, <laughs> so, so I don't want to read Angels. Let me, and you know, the, the, the title doesn't tell you much about what's in there either. You know, Angels and Vermilion, you know, something. And it's the just Philosopher's Stone from DMT. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and I'm just thinking, I, I, you know, it really just from the look- file name, I'm thinking like it's nothing. I'm thinking like it's some book on angels or something, you know. No, it, then, it really, honestly, I don't know how you could look at the facts presented in that book or the and the information. It really does look like that D and Kelly knew what DMT was, were, were able to make it, and the pow- red powder D- Kelly had was DMT. And at uh, for years, I thought that wasn't the case, but I didn't know some of the facts that he points out. I didn't know how prevalent out. DMT pre- use was amongst alchemists. Oh especially the Cagliostro right, the Russian right, mm-hmm. they were giving them the red stone and the white stone. The white stone had the MAOI ox- inhibitor, which allowed yeah. it to work like ayahuasca in your in your body, in your stomach. So it's like, okay, and you know what? I don't know if you've done DMT, but if you have done DMT, and if you if you do it properly, and then you, you come out, you're going to be, you would, the first thing I think you would think, especially in those times, is this is the secret. And I must protect it. You would be like, holy shit. Holy shit. I've asked yeah. for travel before. I've had dreams before, but I was there. I was actually there. You know, and yeah. now we have groups of Masons experimenting with it, playing frequencies in their ears, and they're able to go to the same place. And other people can go to the awesome. same place. Sometimes what we just I'm it's not about conclusions. Say, and- we don't need conclusions, we need conversation. We need that. Yeah. We need discussion. Yeah. And that, and that's what I was getting at. Cause you know, I, I let it sit there for so long thinking it was just another book on angels or whatever, man. And I, when I finally, finally said, okay, I got some time. I'm going to sit down and read this, you know, look through this guy's book. And man, it was like, boom, you know, it was like, oh my God, this is incredible. You know, cause you know, like, like he go he, all this information in there on, you know, the, the acacia, the acacia tree and, and how it was, you know, turned into these powders. And of course, you know, Kelly had the red powder, <laughs> you know, there's a whole saga in the, in the journals about Kelly having the powder, 
and them exploring how to use it. So it's not exactly you would think going into it, okay, Dean Kelly using some kind of drug. That just seems like a stretch. Like, how the hell are you going to convince me? You know, find some way to convince me without sounding like you're bending over 14 different ways backwards because D might have drawn a curly cue at one point in a journal and you're going to try to tell me it's a mushroom. No, this was like solid information, historical sources, everything documented. I mean, it didn't prove that Ian Kelly used the drug, but it's like there was this whole tradition surrounding it it it's that there's no way and Dean kelly didn't know about it's you know they, we know for sure they knew about it and therefore it's highly unlikely they didn't that wasn't what they were making use of because there's no other drug like it in history like that it. people have been so secretive about why and and you might ask uh, you might be a drug addict and be like well why and it's like have you tried it and they're like no try it then you'll see now, well because it's, it's now it's, admit it's i have not like anything else it's not like yeah, now i haven't personally drug. taken a dmt trip so i can't speak from experience on that um but just i mean but i intellectually have understand uh dmt's trips and it would explain a lot about kelly's attitudes where you know like he he could have these angelic visions but they would very often slip into more like goetic chthonics kind of imagery and that's why he would get frightened and why he would flip out and why he didn't want to do it. And, you know, he would just want to storm out and quit all these mood swings and all this stuff. It, it really makes, you know, because if, if you look at how often Kelly was having to do this, he was literally having to be under this, this influence every single day for hours, sometimes from sunup to sundown, they would be wow. in the, in there scrying these angels. So yeah, if it was the substance that they were using, at least sometimes, you know, if not every time, it would really go a long way to explaining just how, from our perspective, how, um, what's the word, uh, uh, very random Kelly could be in, in his moods and, and what he was seeing and what he thought of what he was seeing, you know? Yeah. So it's just the whole thing just, he really blew my mind with that, you know? It's, and it's... and every, everything I just said didn't even come from his book. I mean, all he did was lay out the historical tradition yeah. of the acacia plant you know and its connection to well, and if you see these other alchemists were using it and we're sure they were doing that with it how it's like yeah. it's like saying it's like it's like if um you and everyone else in the golden dawn was doing something and and then someone was like but frater rc knew nothing of this it's like how how right how right the, what you know, yeah. like it seems very un. So I don't know if I mean, I, he was I, the, be the the greatest alchemist of his day in England. I, I don't think he didn't. <laughs> you know, I mean, they were searching for these powders and these elixirs and stuff. One of, I mean, it's just one yeah, of my most I mean, frustrating uh, things about uh, my buddy Chris Bennett's uh, Lieber four twenty is that is in the paragraph where he talk in the where he talks about this, and you wrote the, the the forward to that, or the you wrote a comment that I think turned into a forward. It was another one of those. No one yeah, should ask you to write a comment about their book. They should accept <laughs> the fact that you're going to be contrib a contributing chapter. You are verbose, my friend, and I fucking love it. <laughs> but in that chapter, Chris Bennett's like. I found the list of drugs that D had prepared for the Royal in the, within the Royal society of all the drugs he had, but I was unable to find Chris Bennett's like, I was unable to find anyone who could read it for me. So I haven't included it here. And I was like, 
Maybe you pay someone to read it for you and put it in the book. Right. Man, 777 <laughs> pages, Chris, and you can't be bothered to translate the list that might be the linchpin to your entire yes. argument in this case. Anyway, that just means it's there for someone else to do, because I would love to know what that list of drugs that D knew was that was then taken by Ashmole into the Royal Society. Like, I'm sure yeah. it's written in English. I don't think it's written in Latin. Um, I just don't know how to find that that list of things but the fact that it was being used regularly by people at the time is really all the evidence you need i don't think that's evidence that they were using it regularly in enochian ceremonies because d was such a uh, avid diary diarist why would he exclude reference to it especially given the fact it wasn't illegal or well anything? well i honestly my answer to that i think is contained in chris in 420 in chris bennett's book because i like i said in the in in the forward i wrote to that um i had always questioned that i mean in all the grim wars you know you don't see mention of 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 drugs involved with evocation rituals i just and realized yet, you mentioned that in the intro which is probably why i thought to even it might even be why you thought of it. yeah <laughs> the reason but i'm it, thinking it is because i read you write it ah. <laughs> that's funny but yeah it's not mentioned anywhere it's not mentioned anywhere but and so that always made me wonder it's like there was no drug war at the time right that stuff wasn't illegal and it was and it wasn't until chris published his book that i that i i came to learn again someone did scholarly work that i lacked and so i needed that and what he taught me in that book was that okay maybe there wasn't a law against the drugs but there was a drug war you could actually taking drugs was seen as pagan it was a pagan thing to do oh no shit yeah and therefore yes you could actually get in trouble for taking drugs they would immediately suspect you of using them for some kind of nefarious magic purpose so that's why they weren't mentioned and even and even if even in the grim wars you think well they're writing about magic it's not like they're worried about being associated with magic but again they went to great lengths in those books to make it very clear they weren't pagan we're not those guys. We're the good guys. We don't do what those dirty, dirty pagans do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they did have reason to not mention their drug use. But historical records of Solomonic work that we know was done, they, those historical records mention drugs. Uh, remember the famous one that uh, where this... Uh, um, I, and I always feel stupid when I hear it later because it's easy to remember. But it was a famous guy, and he it was a famous magician, and he did an evocation for a bunch of spectators uh, in the um, the Colosseum in Rome. They went out into the middle of the field and did an evocation. Was that Apollonia? Well, he he did. Uh, I know it, mm, it might be, but I don't. That's not Rain about. I don't think it was. was but I'm not going to say it wasn't. It could have been. But he did. He, let me tell the rest of the story because it might ring a bell with you because it's in the Magic and History series is where this is talked about. And he did an evocation, but before the, the person who's writing the story recorded that the guy went around with a bowl and had everyone around the circle drink from the bowl. But he, the guy writing the story, refused the drink. And everyone else in that ritual reported seeing the spirits when they showed up. They literally reported all the seats in the, the Colosseum full of nothing but demons surrounding them just thousands and thousands of demons but the guy who refused the drink didn't see anything so we literally have on record that they used drugs in those old evocation ceremonies but not one mention of them in the grimoires 
Have you, have you ever so, tried like evocation rituals with a little psilocybin? Uh, I have not yet. <laughs> I got I, 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 have, man. I was skeptical, and yeah, no, I'm not. I have some reasons to maybe take it easy on the harder psychedelics. Um, but uh, yeah, it's... we can only handle so much in our lifetimes. Yeah, and and not not just psilocybin, but I would love. I was once told by the Anakian angels that I really should try summoning them on LSD once, because they said that was like a key. Ooh, <laughs> they used that word. That. They said they said LSD is a key. But like I said, yeah. I have some I have some reasons to want to be very very careful. Me trying to crew. use LSD. We'll do that. Right we'll do that ASAP and let you know what we find. <laughs> yeah, let you know what you find. I feel I but feel yeah, I can imagine doing things. the Jebo Fall ritual that way it would be kind of insane. But that's 49 days. So you'd have to trip for 49 days. I don't think that would be good for anybody. <laughs> um, I believe um Jason Louv on Midnight Gospel mentioned that he first worked all 30 Aethers in one night on lsd with people oh that's an interesting of course they were also having i couldn't imagine i just couldn't imagine doing that oh my god it sounds a little exhausting to me yeah i mean you're supposed i mean even the full jebba fall it's one gate a day (laughs) i I, can you imagine sitting 30 gates i mean what could you even get from them it'd be like you'd have to go okay you're open hi bye next gate open hi bye i mean what would you even how could you even have a vision for each one of the gates i don't while know. having group sex all while having group okay wow that's crowley level stuff right you need to there. rewatch that's... midnight gospel brother <laughs> that's that's doing abramelon on horseback in the middle of the desert and then you don't even complete it that's that's that kind of stuff right there yeah right right <laughs> yeah totally man that's <laughs> It's uh, it's it's so interesting. So D might have left out drug use for that reason, for the same reason that he criticized Heptameron and stuff like that, because he wanted the papal nuncios who he was planning to show his diary to, his diaries to, and did show his diaries to, to not be like, right. okay, we're gonna kill you now. Not only that, but he was showing it off to every king and prince and emperor that he could get to look at it, because he was trying to establish himself as a prophet. So, you know, his whole idea was to go to what well, he did it to the king of Poland, but his big his big goal was the emperor. And he wanted to go to them with, the, you know, what prophets do. Your kingdom will flourish if you follow God's law and it will fail if you defy God's law. What's God's law? Well, what I tell you it is. <laughs> yeah, that's what D wanted to do. But Rudolph sent him packing. He and he and Kelly had to sneak out of uh, had to sneak out of Prague in the middle of the night. <laughs> Kelly stayed in Prague. So, so here I was. I, yeah, I, I did Kelly a, went back. He Kelly, ended up yeah, working for the emperor. Yeah, because he didn't even die from the fall. He died later on. When I was in Prague last time, that's I what was, we understand now. Yeah, yeah. They, they they told me all this. I got all this new information in 2019 when I went back to Prague. Um, and I went to. The, I spent a whole week at the tower. I did lectures there. I did lectures in the basement. Oh, the nice. Basement, un, the the alchemist's basement under Kelly's tower now has three massive room set up like tourist sort of alchemy things but actually they are huge stone legit basements like or dungeons and there's a middle ground then they exit into three smaller rooms each of those rooms is large enough for full temple setup wow and the rental is next to nothing oh really what today or you know kelly's time no now oh wow 
they didn't even charge me. But if I had more people there, they would have charged me a couple hundred bucks. Oh, wow. So I'm I'm really thinking like that's a place we could be made use of, you know, like yeah. actual dungeon under the tower, access to the top of the tower. I did some Enochian work up there because the latch was unlocked and they're like, it's unlocked. So I guess you can go up. Normally you can't. So I went up and I started doing work and the angels interrupted me mid call and were like, you don't need to do that here. We're right here. <laughs> and it was the most profound experience and that that experience is what set me up to be open to deep purism when i did the newcomb course that you were part of and introduced me yeah. to that and it's uh been a uh, non-stop since then so awesome. a lot of fun i really love i love the uh, if, if you're interested in being part of the are you a mason no no i i i was uh lucky <laughs> Well, I'll send you the I was link. I was well I was gonna follow chicken I chick went in and I was gonna go in after him and I was gearing up for it but then I saw how desperate they were for help you know what I'm saying you know you go into the masons and they immediately they've got a thousand jobs they need you to do you know and I saw how thin they were spreading chick Mm. And I realized that I just, I wanted to dedicate my time to the Golden Dawn and not to the Masons. So I decided not to. I did my first initiation and never went back. I might finish it now, but we'll see. There's a lodge in town that's a really esoteric lodge. I've talked to the guys, one of, you know, and one like the Occult of Personalities co-host is a member of that. And they've heard of me yeah. actually because of the podcast and I might finish. I would be. I've started it. It might be cool to finish Blue Lodge, but I had a very bad experience with my first degree of it, and oh, I've talked about it ad infinitum on the podcast. Everyone who everyone who's ever heard of my experience has been like, "Wow, that sucks." Sorry about that. They were just dishonest with me, and and I was coming straight out of Zinkland, so it was. Oh, like, that's a great thing. I was hit. like, "Yeah, you lied to me about something that was going to happen in the initiation." Mm. Bye. You know, yeah. like I uh, very flag reactive <laughs> to uh, any BS. And and really, the bottom line was I just didn't want to be part of a group that sat around after every night after their work, toasting the Queen of England and drinking scotch like that just seemed like not what I was there for. If I want to drink. Yeah, scotch, that's that's I'll what go to an Irish pub and play the like... Irish hand drum and play the boron for a few hours and get free scotch and, and yeah it, it just became a it's a social thing you know and i say that and i don't mean to write off all of masonry that way because a lot of the younger masons i know for a fact are very esoteric minded and they want yeah my experience was 20 years ago they want the magic it's yeah yeah they, since then. it's changed yeah. since then. i i knew when i had my experience in 04 I was like, this is probably going to be different one day. But at that time, there was no young people and they were no young people. They're, they were they're so dying out. They're literally dying out. They were they're all growing old. And but now it's but, revitalized. So. I think it is. And I know a lot of people, you know, when Chick joined, Chick joined the Masons with the intention of learning about the origins of the order. Yeah, that was his whole point, you know, because he yeah. knows we were founded by Masons. Yeah. Um, you know, Masons who were working in a different order, but I mean, they were all Masons. So he wanted to learn more about us. And he, his honest experience was that he got there and he didn't really learn anything about the Golden Dawn, but he started teaching 
the younger Masons there who were the more esoteric minded ones that were not just there to drink beer and complain about their wives. He would teach them what the symbolism was. He knows what the pillars mean. He knows what the, the, the password IAO means. He knows, you know, he knows what all that means. So he would give lectures and, and start teaching that stuff. Huh. And we would get influxes of, of young Masons coming, following him back from the, from the, the lodge to, uh, to our temple. And, you know, a lot of them didn't really stay. A lot of them would just get the neophyte and then and then move on with you know with what they were wanting to do. But yeah, there was this really interesting period there where there was this. It was almost like a a, a tug of war between the older Masons who just wanted things to stay the way they were, and they didn't need people like Chick coming in and stirring up things, <laughs> you know. And then you had the younger Masons who were hungry for more and and looking to learn the mysteries and and so yeah, that was. And, and and if you're saying that that the esoteric young masons are still out there and that's what and and, and there's some revitalization in that organization that would be great That'd oh it's, awesome it's happening there. big time from what i'm seeing yeah yeah, yeah. That's, you're getting, that's good you're i mean getting it's, it's whole lodges that are going you know, new blood yeah yeah it's not across the board but it's happening anyway it's it's cool you know young men are so so lost these days anything to help them in, in the in the you know maelstrom of our culture is not a bad thing as far as i'm concerned i mean even they, i, I think what they ought to do is if they want to save their numbers and really open it up they ought to just start admitting women <sighs> just so get the over the church whole. to the priesthood by the way well yeah same thing there they need to start ordaining women i mean just just be done with the whole male female thing and just there's no reason not to let the women in at this but, point but there's just but, no longer a reason but father there was no female apostles in the bible because we took names don't make me read like, the gospel like, of mary at no you. no no wait because we took names like from <laughs> acts like you know there's the apostle julia in acts we changed her name to junius so she became a man so there's no women so now she's a man <laughs> they just fucking changed the women apostles' names to masculine names. Anyone like that's what? Yeah. Like the, I'm so glad I'm so like the one besides joining the Golden Dawn, going to seminary is the best decision of my life because I walked into that place, you know, so so sure of myself. Like not only do I know the exoteric, but I know the esoteric, and I'm going up to my New Testament mm. professor, and I'm like, the Gospels though were written by the apostles, and he'd be like, you think that? Uh, you you think just that, do you? <laughs> And, you know, <laughs> after a couple of years of Greek, Hebrew and Aramaic lessons, you know, you're looking at the resource text and you're like, why is it so schizophrenic? It's like because it was written by many people over a large period of time. By several people. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you know, I tell people that about the Bible and not just the Gospels, the whole thing. Yeah. It's like that is not a book. That is a collection of books written by different people from different cultures at different times who were following different religions. And then they all got cobbled together. <laughs> and it, sort of, yeah. it was, it's sort of it's like, let's use a modern analogy that's really contemporary and popular. It's almost as if you were trying to tell a story based on Tolkien without having read Tolkien. Mm, yeah. Yeah. There's way too much. Well, that goes back to what I said before. About how many how many people want to teach you about the Golden Dawn that have never been in the Golden Dawn? <laughs> yeah. Alaska. See, it's that way in every subject matter. 
there's one last thing I'd like to talk to you about uh, publicly before we uh, switch to maybe a brief, a br very brief Patreon bonus segment with my patron questions. I have only one or two, okay. but if you don't mind, but okay. publicly, because I think people need it. So this is my, I would like to see in the future, there be more bridges built between Golden Dawn communities and orders. We have a little bit, we have a lot more of that going on now than we do than during the, the GD wars of the 90s, right, which were so stupid and uh, time consuming and wasteful of all of our resources and energy. But like, for example, now here in Vancouver, there's probably like 50 Golden Dawn initiates, but they're all part of different orders. So none of us can get together. None of them will get together with me and even have a coffee or study site. We can't do anything. Because all of our orders like don't talk to other members. And so I was talking to a member of your order here, but and she's wait, she's a neophyte, I think, and she's waiting to get to Portal to get a charter to start a sanctuary here. It's like to me, I was like, that's great. You you rock and roll, go for it. We had great connection, great interactions. But I was after, I was just like, this is so sad because I've talked to so many initiates of different orders, and they're all like, hey, you know, I'd love to get together and do some stuff, but we're we're not supposed to mix, you know. And it just seems so absurd to me. So absurd. We could have a Golden Dawn community yeah. in Vancouver, but instead we have a pockets of people that can't hang out with each other for fear of betraying their cult, for lack of a better mm -hmm. word. Mm -hmm. I just want to throw that out and see what your big brain thinks and feels before we move on to our patron bonus. I just, I don't... You, do you I see any know what to say. I mean, I mean, there's... I can tell you there's nothing in my order that says we can't hang out with whoever we want to hang out with. I it doesn't if if I were in an order that told me I was not allowed to associate with people from other groups, I wouldn't be in that group. And the, to me, that's a red flag. That's one of those red flags that you're in a cult. So I mean, if they're if they they try to isolate you from friends or family, if they try to tell you who you can and can't associate with, you know, if they try to control your sex life those are red flags to get out that's not a good thing there's no reason why you know like, like i'll give you a great example uh someone from uh pretty sure he's working he was working with zaluski and and he's he's gonna kill me because he's in my friends list on facebook and i'm now spacing his name and i know his name too so i'm gonna feel bad but anyway he re this was before we moved out here to the farm where we are we still lived in tampa and I think they were having a meeting in Clearwater or something like that. And we were close enough that because he had announced it on Facebook and we just decided to go. And, you know, he, he had opened, he had, it was open. It wasn't a temple meeting of the order. It was just, they were at a bookstore and they were just going to have a little study session and get together and talk about Golden Dawn. And me and Carrie and I went. And I, there was no problem. Why, why would there be an issue with us going to that and talking to them? Just because we're from different orders, I it really doesn't make any sense to me. Or, or like if my order told me I wasn't allowed to hang out with the neo pagans, you know, so I can't have festivals on my property here. Or, I mean, I just I, I can think of a yeah. million examples. I mean, that there's no no reason for an order. Now, okay, like there are things in our order that we can't reveal. You know, they're private to our order, so I'm not going to go to another group and do that. I'm probably not going to get together and do ritual with other uh order people i mean in the sense of golden dawn ritual but honestly i think that's more logistic than anything else i go to temple once a month for that 
I don't know why I would be going to another group to do my Golden Dawn work. You know what I'm saying? Um, so there are things that I would do just with my order. And there are things that are private to my order. But that has nothing to do with socializing. That has nothing to do with study. has nothing to do with, you know, like you said, building a community. I, I just, yeah, I can't wrap my mind around that. Why any any group would tell you that you can't talk to other order members uh, members of other orders it just yeah that just seems kind of alien to me it's more common than people that i think you might realize which is unfortunate but i think we can i think we can build a bridge and the bridge i would propose is i'll talk to some friends in town who, who do conferences we'll see what we can think maybe we can get a little golden dawn style community conference going on here i'll get adam adam jonathan out even you know um that's his name right Con yeah golden dog conferences yeah. are like nothing new we've done that right, let's do one God. let's do one you there was one in 97 the year before i joined the order yeah and then there was yeah. one i think a year or two after i joined the order but i mean yeah. conferences are nothing new and the, hell the conferences i went i went to a conference in austin once and i was speaking chick and tabitha were speaking there were thelemites there in fact we we were hosted. The conference was hosted by a Thelemite uh, Lodge. Oh, wow. I mean, it's, I just, here's the thing. You know, you mentioned the Golden Dawn Wars. I'm going to tell you right now, the Golden Dawn Wars are bullshit. They never happened. And I know this, a lot of people are going to jump up and down and swear they did happen. But I'm telling you, that was a bunch of online smoke and mirrors. Alt magic. Bullshit. It was alt magic, and it was mostly I never done went on by that group once. It was mostly done by one person whose name I will not mention, and a bunch of people loyal to him. And it was nonsense. They tossed around the term Golden Dawn faction more often than you know. You know, I mean, they, they did everything they could to create the illusion there was this great golden dawn war but i promise you even back then at the height of all of that in the late 90s and early 2000s we all got along we got along with those of you that were in sync order at the time we got along with you know we got along with people that were thelemites we got along with wiccans we got along everyone was getting along in the real world but if you got online, it looked like all Golden Dawn orders were fighting each other and dividing themselves into factions. But that was all the work of a very small group of people who wanted things to look that way. But none of that was happening in the real world. So it there's you should have no problem building a the community you're talking about because those communities have always been there and there's never been anything stopping them. Except, as you say, questionable leaders who want to tell their their worshipers that they're not allowed to associate, or who I should say, who they are and are not allowed to associate with, and that's that's just wrong. No, no spiritual group should be dictating your life to you that way ever. So that's where I stand on that. <laughs> well, I propose we build a bridge. We we find out what it will cost to get you to Vancouver. We get you to Vancouver where DMT and peyote have been legal forever. <laughs> and well, that would be we, fun. we do a conference. Let's do a conference. We'll get Adam That'd Jonathan, whoever we can get, 
people want, you know, and that's enough to attract. And then that way, at least the people in the city will come together and be like, oh, mm -hmm. we can hang out and study the Z docs or whatever it is where, you know, whatever, you know, just mm -hmm. it would be nice because especially up here in Canada, we're so spread out, we're like, you know, so spread out people, you guys in them states, America is so small, like city by city compared to Canada, like it's 13 hours drive to the next closest city in Canada, but it's only two yeah. hours from me to Seattle. I get Seattle in two right. hours from here. Sometimes I've wow. done way less. Don't tell the, don't tell anyone. <laughs> right. You don't want to know how fast I've got drive like here. I do. Well, no, no. <laughs> it's how fast have I gotten from here to Zinc's place when told to. Oh dear, you Lord. know, I know, right? Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. But it would be great to just get people together in town because they do. Uh, Troy, Troy, do it, man. a lot for uh, the Thelemic and Masonic people. He gets Lon up here, everyone comes out, we all have a good time. I got to hang out with Lon and do a Nokian with Lon and Athena Wallander, who started actually at Temple Duty, but don't tell anyone that. And uh, she's an Enochian person, right? You've heard of her, Athena Wallander. Oh, yeah, I used to be yeah. in her group. Okay, cool. Yeah. So she's, you know, she's from our old temple. And I was in her, I was in her group when I just, that was one of the groups of my mask exodus where I just left every group on Facebook. But yeah, I used to be in her Abermelon group. Cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, it'd be great to get people have a thing like that that's GD focused rather than Thelema focused. Thank God. Please, God. <laughs> Much love you to my big brothers and sisters. It's just not my cup of tea at all. I'm so not bulimic. <laughs> I'm one of we the. We could have some cakes of light. I do not want to dis. Uh, <laughs> dot 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 another's religion. Yes, yes. I did do my cake of light that time with Lon at the anniversary of the Book of the Law at my only Gnostic mass I ever went to that night, and that was fine. But the whole thing was not for me. First of all, I thought it was very unfair that the women have to, the woman priest has to be naked and the man isn't. Why isn't the, the man, man doesn't have to be? Yeah. You have the woman naked, have the man naked too, like balance. Not that I wanted to see anyone naked, of course, because I'm a Golden Dawn person. And I think you should, you know, cover your ankles like a good Victorian. <laughs> okay. Ah, thank you, Father Aaron Fratter, for being on this podcast. And uh, we're going to do a little bonus clip for my very supportive patrons, a uh, few though they may be. Hopefully people listening to this will uh, support my podcast here, join my private YouTube, support my Patreon or join whatever. Just do, you know, do the thing, man. Come on, man. Come on. And, uh, <laughs> and meet, meet us over there for the extra bonus questions. <laughs> please do. I'm going to ask you some the all the secrets of magic from heaven and hell. <laughs> and just two questions. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I I put a lot of preparation into this. All right, so here we go. Thanks for listening, folks. Much love. Diving deep into the practices and reality tunnels of the esoteric and the occult, check out Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast, where I interview practicing occultists, do book reviews, and much more. Check us out on YouTube, Red Circle, and many other podcast platforms. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature, as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. 
Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk that's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk and as a lot of you know I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before including a six hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May I believe so check it out now hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk